Today is Thursday, March 16th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. So today, let's talk about some stuff. Apparently, the Pope listens to my podcast. <laughs> Not really, but he should. You all should. Um, anyway, so the Pope says, what I've been saying for a long time, priests should be able to marry. There's no reason to place undue burdens on priests to be celibate when the Bible itself doesn't place such burdens on uh on pastors or shepherds of the flock. So anyway, the Pope agrees, says there's no problem with it, but uh, he has the power to do something about it, so we'll see if he does. Apparently he said this before and, you know, nothing has changed yet, so we'll see. Anyways, so uh, shout out to the Pope. Is yoga witchcraft? Um, is yoga not witchcraft? Anyway, so we talk about that. I would have a hard time pronouncing judgment, even given the, you know, the spiritual um, organ or origins of uh, yoga. Um, I would have a hard time pronouncing witch, witchdom, witchendom, whatever, up on, you know, a suburban mom with her latte doing downward dog to, uh, you know, get some stretch stretches in. Um, so I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's probably not a witch. Um, anyways, tithing and charity, um, are they one and the same? Are they different? Let's chat about that. Tithing. Uh, the Second Amendment and freedom of speech and the differences between the United States of America, for now, and Canada. And then, my, <laughs> my vegan testimony, gosh, I hate myself as I say that. Um, man, people are, people are cult-like. People are like, want to know, know if someone's vegan? They'll tell you. They'll tell you in like five seconds. I'm like, man, if you tell someone you're vegan, like, get ready for the reverse mob. Like, bro, can a dude just like have lowered cholesterol without getting persecuted? Anyway, so hear me cry about my vegan sob story. Um, it's really not as not as weird. I'm not like chaining myself to trees or you know marching with fake animal blood and fur. Like, dude just has high cholesterol. That's it. Don't want medicine? Boom. Cut out the source of cholesterol. Done. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So you can check out the Ask a Christian book to learn about what we do and why we do it and uh, learn how to share your faith and why you believe it with people in a civil and respectful way. Um, we have a pretty decent track record for doing that. Most of us, anyway. Um, anyway, so check out the Ask a Christian book, now available up on Amazon, the altar of Amazon. Um, and you can check out the Ask a Christian store, where there is merchandise and t-shirts and coffee cups to facilitate discussions about Christianity and this faith you have and this hope you have and why you have it. And uh, check that out and more. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast, and uh, it's full of a bunch of other stuff we didn't talk about. So um, here you go. Happy Thursday. So it uh, turns out the, the Pope uh, watches our podcast because he, he agrees with me. Um, he was recently, uh, he said it before, but recently he, he reiterated that there is no contradiction uh, that would pre prevent priests from not being celibate in the vow of celibacy. So uh, no problem with Catholicism and priests getting married. So whether or not he'll do anything about it um, remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, he seems to say that there's there's no problem with priests uh, if they don't want to be celibate. He says it was a temporary thing enacted <laughs> a thousand years ago. So, you know, maybe we have very different ideas of what temporary means. But he it just seems to say it kind of lingered. So it's supposed to be a temporary thing for, for some reason. I didn't pay that much attention to it. But basically now he's like, Nah, there's no problem. Priest, priest, uh, you know, could could get married, and there's no problem with God or Catholicism or anything like that. So it's it's general, like you know, it's typical bureaucracy. Is bureaucracy still the same word? I guess in in church as in government. Bureaucracy is not a government word, right? 
It's just across the board, like. Correct. Anyway, so I mean, it's, it's government institutionalized bureaucracy. Like all it would take is the Pope to, you know, um, <clears throat> do whatever the executive order is in Pope lingo and make it so. So yeah, um, the Pope must have been hearing us talk about uh, celibate priests and how it's a problem not to force undue burdens upon people that the Bible doesn't do. So shout out well, Pope. Well, what he, what he meant though was not getting married. He just meant for little boys. I'm just going to let that one sit there for a while. Oh, goodness, you caught me when I muted. <laughs> um, Lord have mercy. <laughs> you know, it, it took me a long time. The um, Remember Mr. Mister? Their song, Curio Aso? Yeah. You know what that means? Nope. Apparently it means Lord have mercy. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting factoid. I did not know that. <clears throat> I'm just taking it from the word of a Catholic who was trying to bolster their religion and apparently convert me because, you know, of that song. I'm like, well, I don't want to switch my whole religion for, you know, a cool song fact. But, I mean, that's cool. <clears throat> cool song fact. <laughs> it's like, hey, bro, you want to become Muslim? Because, you know, we're more like Jesus. We have beards and wear robes. I'm like, well, I don't want to change my whole religion because of that. But, you know. I mean, I have a beard and robes are, I, I could get used to it. Yeah. It'd save me from, you know, adjusting pant sizes every time I eat too much or too little. Too little. That's never a problem. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> hey, so um, is, let's see. I've been making notes, reverse notes. Is yoga witchcraft, Chris? Mm, no. <clears throat> I really needed you to say yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, So, I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with people who are like, you know, true yogis being like, yes, it's absolutely a religion. This is our spiritual commitment to, you know, whatever weird God demon. Um, They'd probably say it differently. But, you know, Christians typically understand it to be, you know, very spiritual thing, the roots of it, origins and, you know, like this um, not godly stuff. And, you know, even the yogis would back up and say, no, this is my religion. This is a connection to, you know, divine consciousness or something other than, you know, Christian stuff. So that would lead a lot of Christians to saying, well, you know, this is doctrines of demons or witchcraft or something like that. So even if we stipulate and just say, OK, fine, we'll, we'll say that someone whose you know, religion or practices isn't from the outside looking in. Let's just let's just say we all agree it's, it's witchcraft. If you take it to, to the root and the origins, that that would be something the Bible would say, stay away from whatever, because he's like poses or something or somehow contorting yourself into a pretzel to appease some deity or whatever. Um, so if we say it's, that is witchcraft that should be avoided by Christians, then I would have a really hard time extrapolating that because the Bible says witchcraft is a sin. Don't have anything to do with that. But then trying to go several degrees away with that same logic and be like, okay, if you're a true practitioner of, of yoga and this is your religion, you're doing these contortions to, you know, impress the divine or whatever, or like contact higher consciousness, spirituality. Um, I would have a trouble saying that, you know, to the suburban mom in yoga pants doing downward dog next to her spice latte, that she is a sorceress and needs to be burned. Um, chances are she doesn't know or care about the origins of that or like me when my back is acting up probably like later today i'm going to go look up like 15 minute yoga for back pain um you know i'm not trying to sell my soul or commune to some divine thing 
I'm looking for a way to twist my back that's going to, you know, push things back into place. So uh, anyway, someone was like, so you're saying if they're ignorant, then then that makes it okay if they're ignorant of the sorcery? I'm like, well, well no. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like, first, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So I just gave up on Facebook because I'm like, I can't deal with this today. I'd rather fight with people in audio like you fine fellows. Um, I, I don't have the bandwidth to do this in text back and forth. Um, that's exhausting. But I'm like, look, Paul talks about where there is no law. There is, you know, there is no sin if there's no law because the law shows you what sin is. But then he also talks about people instinctively doing what's right. But if you're talking about the sin of witchcraft and then you're trying to move t- like several degrees away from that and say, because witchcraft is a sin, then this, then this, therefore this is a sin. You can't categorically say that. If that's a sin to you, great. Romans 14, don't do it. Um, but for, you know, the spice latte downward dog person, Nah, you just want to like, you know, get in shape or do something to stretch yourself. Go in peace. What's up, Thomas? Do you think uh, chiropractitioners are an actual uh, science uh, to be taken uh, earnestly? And no. as a Christ- as a Christian, or, or no, I should not consult a chiropractor. And how do I get rid of back pain? That's great. I, I may I may engage that guy again now just to ask him if chiropractors are um you know sorcerers. That that's good. But uh, I I'm not a fan. I don't like chiropractors. Um, I've heard too many bad examples. Like you know I just went in for a little a little twinge in my back and you know then I was paralyzed for a month. Like oh and I, I did go to one one time. It was freaking miserable. Like oh my gosh. I thought that guy was gonna like break my spine. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good with that. For other people, you know, good luck. But Oh, so uh, what is the Hebrew for when God changes his mind? And somewhere in Exodus or Numbers 25 and in Jonah 3.10. I'd like to know what is meant by when God changes his mind to destroy civilizations. Uh, you asked what the word was. Um, I will look for the word. Chris, you want to speak to that? And I will look for the word. Sure. Okay, the, what, the what word is... Oh, you know the uh, word. Yeah, Jonah 3.10, uh, Numbers 25, and maybe somewhere in Exodus, where it, it, it explicitly states that uh, God changes his mind, and then the consequence of that is that he destroys an entire nation. Of, of, of people, I guess. Go ahead, Chris. All right, so Jonah 3.10 reads, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, so God relented concerning the evil which he had spoken he would bring upon them, and he did not bring it upon them. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. Somewhere in Jonah, I'm trying to look yeah. for the verse. So, so yeah, it's a, the the Hebrew word there is nakam. What is it? What does it literally translate to? Nah, is, or is well, it? So that's not the way that the ancient languages work, right? So, ancient languages are defined by their grammar within the context of their sentence. And so we can look at the root words and see some things, but you have to understand each 
Hebrew or Greek word based on the grammar and based on the context in which they're used. And so the root word here just simply means to relent or to stop. Yeah, that's what um, I it can be that he changed his mind, but that's an anthropomorphism. The immutability of God has to be one of the properties of God having the omni-properties. If God has omni-properties, if he is mutable, we are all screwed. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Thanks. You remember when, uh, who was it, the guy that beat the locomotive? Um, driving, like, laying down the railroad tracks. Henry something. What was that guy's name? Uh-uh. Hang on. Who was the guy who laid down railroad track faster than the train and died afterwards? Oh, are you talking about um, the, the myth? Uh, what's his face? Was it a myth? What? I don't know. You just said, or am I talking about a myth? What? Oh, okay. Anyways, the point I was trying to make is, good job, Chris. You beat the machine. I'm trying to, like, you know, cheat and use chat GPT to, like, ask ask uh, quick quick stuff instead of going to Blue Letter Bible because, you know, that takes, like, 10 more seconds. So um, I'm trying to ask chat GPT the original word and all this stuff, and you're like, it's Nikum, Nikum, or whatever. And uh, as you're, like, saying it, like, chat GPT is, like, just immediately following you but slightly slower and uh i wanted to say good job chris you beat the machine and then it reminded me of john henry the american -American who worked as a steel driver who apparently beat the train but then you know he died afterwards from you know exhaustion got it okay so just don't die check the heart rate i don't want to die of exhaustion that was not actually a hard one That's all I got. Hey, Saren Steph is both here. Saren Stephanie, was that the name we settled on? Or Stephen yeah, Stephen Dippity. Stephen Dippity. Stephen Dippity. Stephen Dippity. Here's another theological question. Um, what did Jesus meant by or mean or uh, mean by when he said, "Judge not, and that you not uh, you be not judged." I think Matthew six seven somewhere there. Oh, that's a good one for Nate. Oh, I was going to ask you to answer while I choke and die and try to drink some of this tea. Hey, Terrence. Uh, what was the question? So when Jesus says, uh, what, judge not and you'll not be judged? Yeah. Uh, if you if you judge, you should not be judged or something. Matthew 6, 7, somewhere there. Five, well, he goes nine. on. He goes on there to say, like, whatever measure you use, that'll be used to you, right? That's in the same passage. Yeah, I think so. I'd say that goes back to the Bible that talks about, you know, in other places where it talks about judge rightly. So I'd, I would say in my, uh, you know, my off the top of my head with doing no research whatsoever, um, that would be don't be a non, you know, like a non-biblical wrong judgmental person. Like, uh, you know, how I have a tendency to be kind of cynical and grumpy and like judging in not a right way or not a Christian way. Um, don't do that. Otherwise, people are going to judge you like that kind of like live by the sword, die by the sword. Uh, but instead, uh, whatever measure you use. So use the right measure. And then, you know, Paul talks about it um, in Corinthians, I believe, where he talks about, uh, you know, judge, judge rightly. 
and then that's that gives it lays out the biblical method of judging and it talks about you know put out the the bad person from among you or the ungodly person among you and you know it gives it gives like a biblical prescription prescription for the measure of right judgment so i believe that that's taking the totality of scripture um you know instead of just taking things out of context so i'd say don't judge uh, wrongly unbiblically um and then whatever measure you use that will be used to measure you so if you're, you know, saying you're a Christian and doing all these things antithetical to Christianity, and I judge you rightly, biblically for that, and I'm like, hey, the Bible says this, the Word of God says this, you should do this. Well, then that measure is also how I'm going to be used. So I, I should be living my life according to that. So if I'm doing things antithetical to Christianity, I should not. I should be like, well, I'm using that measure against him. That measure is going to be used against me. This is right judgment. This is how to rightfully do it. So we both better fall in line. That's what it means to me. That's amazing, Nate. You're amazing. I just read a book and it says the same thing. That's my best, Chris. That's pretty good. <clears throat> the point of my impression. Oh. <laughs> uh, Thomas, what are you? Uh, is that kind of what you thought about that as well? Sure. Uh, judge rightly. If you judge wrongly, you, you'll be. Um... A persecutor or something, yeah. uh, maybe I have a very simplistic view. <clears throat> oh, Chris, did you get that email from uh, Sean yesterday? Yeah, I just saw the I, I just saw the message. He's like, I'll send that to you when I get your email address. Here is my email. Yep, he sent to me. Is it good? I mean, it's two books. Um, I haven't started reading them yet. I have a bunch of other stuff to read. Um, they're self-published books, so I'm always a bit leery. Oh, my book is self-published, Chris. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's still a bit leery. I understand. Oh boy, got anything else for us, Thomas? Oh, there is, uh, there is Sean. Hey, Sean. Let's go ahead and send. Hey, it how you doing? God bless everyone. Oh, um, the the second book I sent you, Chris, is not self published. It's it's called about strength communications. That, yeah, see, strength communications to me is self published. <laughs> that's just about to say. That's just about to say. If I everybody said, else, that's a that's a. a a, a legitimate company. Oh, yeah, they're here in... They're here in Central Florida, and I did a bunch of work for them a long time ago, um, computer work, and they never paid me. Yeah, they're they're not good people. Oh, maybe they forgot. Maybe we should go remind them again. Yeah, that was like 12 years ago. Mr. Agnes is a good person. I'm sorry? Because I know he's the owner. Did you, t did you talk to Stephen Strang? Uh, yes. Because you just you just broad brushed the whole company. Yeah, I know. They're they're, well, they're a terrible you. terrible group of people. That's not that's not God. I'm just saying, man. Well, like, hey, you if you do them, if you do if you do them, the wait, one wait, thing hey, about hey, wait, hang on, hang on, about hang on. righteous judgment. You all hey, just talk you, about righteous judgment now. So yes. if y'all talk about hey, righteous hey. judgment.
Whoa, hang on, man. Madre is trying to talk for like three minutes. Come on, bro. I'm saying if Chris is talking about his experience over a decade ago and you have experience with them much sooner, is it crazy to think maybe some staffing changed and the current group is not the terrible people that Chris dealt with over a decade ago? Go ahead and speak now, whoever. That, that just seems reasonable to me to at least suggest. That would be. That would be suggested. Just because you had a bad experience with some folks in the company. I had I had some... I used to work for Wendy's. I had bad experience with some people that at, at Wendy's, but does that mean the whole company is bad? No. That's broad brushing. Well, Chris, so we really, talked about multiple, so, multiple so I would topics not say today. That and everybody uh, who works at Strang is bad. I would say Steven Strang is a bad guy. Uh, here's another question for you guys to test your knowledge, I suppose. Uh, should all Christians speak in tongues? Should? Eh, sure. Must they? No. I mean, the, the way I'm addressing it is like, you know, should all their Christians, you know, do, do whatever holy thing that would, you know, foster a relationship with them and God? Well, sure, they should. But must they? So, I mean, I guess someone would, would say the only time they shouldn't is if they consider any type of, like, you know, babble or mumbling or whatever ungodly. I mean, I think that would be the only time they would say they, they shouldn't. But that would, I mean, that would get into what one means by it. And, like, you know, is this a public display? Is this a private moment? If it's a private moment and someone considers it still wrong, does that make it bad? Or does that make the person misguided? But from my humble perspective, I'd be like, well, sure they should. But... Doesn't mean they must. We're ready for your different answer, Chris. Or Sean. Chris or Apostle or Joanne, do you think Christians should most Christians should speak in tongues and use the minor power of the Holy Spirit? I mean depends on your theological bent. I believe that speaking in tongues uh, is a occasional spiritual gift that is given to people to speak earthly languages. And then Joanne kind of addressed it in chat. I don't know if you want to speak, Joanne, but she was talking about there must be an interpreter. And I would agree, you know, back to my statement about public versus private. But I could say publicly, yes, biblically, there should be an interpreter. Um, but I would say privately, that wouldn't prevent you because, you know, I, I believe, like when Paul says, you know, when you don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays for you with these, you know, utterings and groanings that, you know, you don't know what you're saying. Uh, but you're also not doing this in public. You would be doing this, you know, in a very private place. This is between you and God. So I would see no problem with that. But yeah, like Joanne says, I think, yeah, if this is done publicly, then yes, to, to be biblical, there should be an interpreter. I must agree with you. Um, on the other on the other night, um, <clears throat> I was praying and I was speaking in tongues in the, in the, in the service. Uh, and and the Lord allowed me to interpret. I found I was speaking Mandarin Chinese, which I know I don't know. <laughs> I if we, I can't read a word in Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> so uh, I would agree with you there. When it's public for public worship, yes, but when it's private, the Bible that's between you and God, and that that ain't nobody else's business. <laughs> I'll be it in the spirit. He speaketh mysteries unto God. I believe that's how the verse is read. Is read in First Corinthians oh. fourteen three. 
I'm not mistaken, my King James. <laughs> we'll probably all be speaking Chinese before long. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the rapture don't take place first, because <laughs> uh, I see the Ch- I see China China has invaded Africa portions of Africa lately. So, um, mm-hmm. so these uh, African dictators are going wild. Uh, when you want to come in and tell somebody how to run their country, I think you're out of order. That's like going to somebody, like if you was to come to my house and tell me, well, you should run your house. Like, I said, wait a minute now, that's out of order. <laughs> I, I want to do that if I came to your house. <laughs> so that's, that, that's, that's, what, that's what I think. Not all the, uh, not, and, and African, you got African dictators, but you also have African presidents prime ministers too so we have you have to you have to uh, say which one you're dealing with because ethiopia uh liberia i know liberia has a president and i just came from there and (laughs) and it's it's definitely a president the the president of uganda uh is a president he's not a dictator Idi Amin was a dictator, but the current president is not. Ah, Victoria, your memes are or your PTR uh, is hilarious. Uh, Joanne, would you like to say anything about anything? Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, next question. Uh, how much do you really do you think in the church? Uh, Many fellowship Christians uh, should give away ten percent of their income every week. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a command, but if someone wants to do it, as Chris is going to change my answer, um, I would say I do believe. Um, I, I agree with what Chris is about to say, but I would say uh, further, I do believe it is a biblical principle. And, uh, you know, there is value to doing so. It's not a command. It's not a must. I understand there's a difference in money versus, you know, farm goods. But um, I, I think there is biblical principle to it. Um, I believe I've, you know, seen these advantages in my life from when I have versus haven't. Just like, you know, there's plenty of biblical principles in Proverbs. They're not commands, um, but there are principles. And if you do them, it tends to work out well for you. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, there were the principles. I think you should do that. more than 10%. But I think it's an offering and not a tithe. Tithing, and tithing in the Old Testament, by the way, was not ten percent; it was twenty-two and a half percent. So, so I've always said in today's money, I guess, like uh, you'd have to give away. Let's say you had, you work for like five hundred dollars a, like a, a week or something or a month. Uh, how much would twenty-two percent of that would be? Oh, I don't math. Go ahead, Joan. I'm sorry. I wasn't meaning to ignore. Couldn't find my mic. Uh, I think that um, it was the law at one time, and I don't think we're any longer under the percentage law, but we must remember, too, that everything we have belongs to God. Well, yeah, and I mean, if someone wants to, you know, be be biblical, um, I mean, again, not a command, but if you if you look at, um, you know, like the early church in Acts, like they gave everything away. There's like, all right, here's everything. And then before someone, you know, makes the case for 
you know, that's that's socialism and that's why socialism is great. I'd say, well, no, this is totally free will. You didn't have someone commanding or commandeering or taking it. This is, you know, what they felt impressed upon to do. And, you know, they they did this voluntarily. So I would say, you know, if you want to do what the first century church did, great. Sell all your crap. Um, <laughs> but um, also not a command. Exactly. And I also know it's not um, necessarily a popular thought, but I think that an offering can also be if um, you have a brother or Jesus says do unto, um, I can't quote it, if you do unto others, you do unto me. If you know someone that is hungry, or needs to go to the doctor. Um, there have been times it's been laid upon our hearts to give to that, and I think that God sees our hearts and honors that, and that may make us uh, less able to give to the storehouse. But I think that we should do right by our brothers in love too. Well, what I would say is what we do, again, not not tooting my own horn, but what we do is we give our um, commitment to the church every week. And then if there is somebody in need, we go above and beyond that. And we trust God to give us the resources to do so. Amen. Hey, hey, everybody. Good morning, Michael. Oh, and Sean, I didn't, I don't remember. 10 minutes ago, if I told you or not, but I did get your email or your chat yesterday. I just now saw it and I did email you. So you have my email now if you wanted to send that stuff. I don't know if I told you that or not. Hey, Michael, what's up? Uh, I'll um, email you as soon as I get to the ministry office. That's where I'm on my way to. <laughs> all right. Thanks. All right. Uh, everything's good. Everything's good. Um, yeah. So um, what? Uh, so my, my wife and I give to, to charities every year. And, and it's based, uh, we, we base it on our ability to give. So some years it's more, some years it's, it's less. Um, but I think, uh, I think charity is important. Um, but funny story, uh, years ago when I spent some time studying with Mormons, that, that that's fascinating. Um, I went to, uh, went to one of the, uh, services and towards the end of the meeting, uh, the bishop uh, that's what they call them. Uh, the the bishop called on um, the what they called the office coordinator, and the office coordinator came up to the pulpit and said, uh, "Well, you know, the uh, the end of the month, uh, you know, has has come along, and uh, so for all of those, and this this is a quote, for all of those who haven't tithed yet, please come to the office after the meeting with your pay stubs." Oh. I found that absolutely hysterical. Ooh, that makes me think of a completely unrelated, but quasi-related, I guess, so not totally unrelated topic. But that, that is very interesting. Uh, Vanuel, did you have anything to say on this? And I also just noticed yeah. you. Welcome. Yeah, actually, um, I was actually going to ask a different question, but since you brought up the, the tithe thing, I, I would have said, I would prefer to say that tithing is not a principle itself. But um, it just was a method of giving, you know. I wouldn't say, cause I, I think you worded it. You said, you know, there's a, there's a principle behind it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the principle, uh, that 
Well, I meant that. <clears throat> yeah, I meant that the print. I mean, the principle I was talking about is, you know, basically you're not going to be able to outgive God. So, you know, what, whatever you try to give with, uh, you know, give against God, uh, you know, if there's like this back and forth, the biblical principle is you're not going to be able to outgive God. That's okay, that's all I meant. Okay, I, I get, okay, I get what you mean. Yeah, because because I, I hear some um. I got into a lot of this. I mean, I used to be a, a avid tither. I mean, I mean, I was loyal. I didn't even just only tithe. I paid the first fruit, whatever, you know. You know I just wanted to be able to be obedient to God, as I understood it at the time. Um, but I, I kind of ran ran into a similar um, situation. Well, in principle, um, to what the brother was saying about everybody bringing in their check stuff. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, but um, it was it was a situation where I was kind of newly you know, wedded, had a baby on the way, and my life was about to get cut off, and it was around the time uh, where they practiced first fruit, which is given like a whole week's, um, uh, you know, amount uh, to the church. So I was in a new set of conditions, and, you know, and I felt like I was copping out, but I, I called, you know, called my pastor, and I'm like, here's my situation, and um, also um, I still need to be able to pay my first fruit. So he paused for a second. He's like, okay, how about a payment plan? You know, when he, when he said that, it kind of really threw me off a little bit because I don't see no payment plan in, you know, in the procedures, you know, as far as uh, giving is concerned. But anyways, it took me down a little rabbit hole because I had to really not buy groceries from my household. I didn't, I didn't pay it, but you know, I, I dealt with a lot of the guilt, so it brought me down to a, a little rabbit hole, and I ran up on uh, an article, because, you know, I know the main base scripture that they use, like, will a man rob God, however you rob me, do you tithe and offer, and so on and so forth, so I'm like, okay, let me just go ahead and Google search that, but it brought me to an article, which was, you know, will a man rob rob God, and I'm like, okay, so by the time I'm, I'm reading through this 23-page article, I'm like, I really... It was actually the opposite, you know, how, you know, it taught me that, you know, the tithing was, you know, uh, the, uh, the Levites didn't have an inheritance, so God became their inheritance, and, um, and it required all the individuals to, you know, well, those who farmed and, and you know, had these type of jobs, they were required to pay um, 10%, well, a tithe to the Levitical precepts. So it just kind of brought an understanding of what was going on. But, like, now when I look at the church today, you know, I, I try to. I see people try to justify tithing, but I, I feel like they have to kind of do a lot of gymnastics and tear up scripture and use things a lot out of context, and you know, and not consider the original audience it was given to in the in the, in the you know in the purpose behind it. You know, so. Well, you know, yeah. I'm, uh, <clears throat> well, yeah. I, I want to hear your other question in a second, but yeah, I got to bring up this other thing now because that's that's twice now. It's just it's just too seamless. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not pro tithe as like a commandment because I don't believe it is a commandment. Uh, we've already talked about that. I, uh, but um, that whenever you said, you know, put on a payment plan, yeah, that would definitely perk my ears up in, in a not so great way. But I wonder, like, you know, um, I just saw something. Everyone pay attention. <laughs> and it was uh, a letter, and this was from a Church of Christ. So, you know, take that for what you will. But I think the, the point is the same. And it was about um, this member of, of their church who apparently had stopped coming to church. And I guess they were in some sort of not biblical relationship. Like, I, I think it was like they were living with, living with their boyfriend or girlfriend uh, and not, not married. Um, and they had quit coming to church. 
So someone posted on Facebook, which was hilarious because it did not go the way they wanted it to go. I guess they were looking for support and like, oh, there's judgmental Christians. But I mean, even though it's from Church of Christ, it seemed very biblical, um, except one thing, which I'll now ask, because it's it's people subjectively living up to God's God's laws. And how do you do that in a modern age? So the letter read something like, you know, hello, uh, I think it was Miss, like, hello, Miss, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, we've noticed you've not been at church in, in some time. And, you know, we wanted to check and make sure everything's okay. And we wanted to, you know, we um, um, wanted to remind you that, you know, you shouldn't forsake the assembly of the brethren and blah, blah, blah. And church community is important, just like the Bible says, you know, and it, like the don't forsake the gathering of the brethren, like that scripture was quoted. And um, then it went on to say, uh, you know, so we, we would like to see you in attendance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're praying for you. And then the next paragraph said, and it's also come to our attention that, uh, you know, you've been living in this unbiblical relationship. And I, I think it, it alluded to like, not like any LGBTQ or A plus piece of on them issues, but just like your average run of the mill fornication, you know, straight people, not near as, not near as um, exciting, but still unbiblical. So uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend living with a boyfriend who wasn't married. And it's like, you know, this has come to our attention and it cited the scripture references, you know, quote, showing that this is unbiblical and a problem. And uh, it said, you know, we need uh, you to, you know, be repentant and express repentance, blah, blah, blah. And it says, you know, we, we will give you till this date and this time. And it was like, you know, a, a month in advance. And it's like, we'll give you until this date. And if we haven't received, you know, your recognition of repentance uh, by this date and to be, you know, essentially brought back into the fold, um, then we will have to cut off commu uh, communi communication or communion or whatever, like basically kick you out of the church. Like you're unwelcome here. And um, anyway, so I read that and at first I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And maybe my Church of Christ bias was um, was coming through. But the more I read it, and then I started looking at some of the contents, I'm like, well, you know, um, I mean, that that kind of actually is biblical. Like the only thing would be kind of like uh, Vangel said, how you know they like you want to put a payment plan. So if everyone agrees that you know they should be tithing or whatever, and then it's like, well, you want to be on a payment plan? And he's like, well, there's no payment plan in the Bible. Well, you know, there's also no official like date for repentance or else in the Bible. But I'm thinking, well, you know. That's a subjective way of, I think, kind of being biblical because, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that in 2023? It's not like you, you see these people, we have cars, uh, you know, maybe anyways, do you get what I'm trying to say? Like at first I was, I was a little weirded out by, well, you're trying to give a date they have to be repentant of or else. But then I thought, you know, I guess that's kind of reasonable. Yeah, I, I understand um, what he was trying to do. But you know, I just didn't find any biblical support for him to do so. You know, and if 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 the scriptures allowed us for that, you know, saying it wouldn't have been a problem. But you know, at that time, you know, now we're talking about 15 years ago. You know, 15, 16 years ago. Um, you know, at that time, it was just like, um, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. I was moving on from the tithing thing. I, I wanted to get people's uh, thoughts on this thing, the the repentance oh, thing. Oh, I, I, I thought you were coming. I thought you were basing it all that. Um, I was I was basing it on that, but I'm, okay, I'm generally okay. curious now. Hold, okay. <laughs> what do you, okay, what do you think it. about that? I mean, what do you think about? I this? think they're two different yeah. situations, right? The first is like completely unbiblical, you know, asking somebody for a payment plan for an a made up, you know, obligation like a first fruits offering. It's just completely made up, and it's unbiblical. And if your pastor is talking about first fruits offering, then he should probably not be a pastor so okay now the next one now the I said next they were, one they were not really related 
they're kind of well i mean they're not they're not the same so the other one is a known thing within biblical christianity that if you're a bible believing christian you're going to know already what the behavior expectations are uh, specifically like the date like you know I don't know. I, I guess I've just never, I mean, I'm not in pastoral leadership. So, I mean, I guess I've never been, I mean, you know, trying, trying, trying to be official and be like, Hey, uh, we know you're in this unbiblical relationship. You need to repent like right now. Or like if they haven't come to church, be like, okay, well repent at the time of this reading or, you know, repent in two weeks to make sure you got the letter. Like I mean, <laughs> this, this thing about it is like giving them extra time as opposed to right now is just giving them extra grace. So like we say, Hey, you've got a month to straighten this out. That gives you enough time to make other living arrangements, et cetera, you know, or, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to bring it before the church. So Steph, in your, uh, in your life of sin, um, I'm just kidding. I was trying to be funny. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. I got to stop trying to make jokes. What's up, Steph? Do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> I'm tithing. Just whatever. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Um, I've always been sort of put off by the 10% thing because I'm like, I can't afford that, you know, especially, <laughs> you know, when we were uh, uh, just out of college. I mean, I have this whole sob story about my parents didn't help me pay for college and they wouldn't even co-sign my loans and I had to emancipate and my monthly payments at 22 years old were a minimum of $1,500 a month. And, you know, all of that is true. So I was always like, Lord, I'm so angry. Like, I can't. I can't tithe because of this situation that you didn't get me out of and blah, 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 like all this anger about it. Um, so financially, when we decided to start businesses and, you know, all that good stuff, we just were like, okay, we're going to be eating rice and beans for a while. We're going to see how it goes. And then it was like seven years of eating rice and beans. Like literally, you know, we had kids and we were like prioritizing the kids food over ours. But there came a point where I just was like, I give up, Lord, like I give up. Um, and we made the decision to sponsor a child through compassion and it's $38 a month. But for us at the time, this was like an enormous leap of faith, uh, where I was just like there, I, I mean that $38 a month would buy a lot of rice and beans. Right. So, or other stuff, just, you know, whatever the internet bill that we needed for our jobs, all this good stuff. But we ended up sponsoring little baby Zach in the Philippines. This was 10 years ago. And uh, this is just my own testimony. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel, and I don't want this to sound superstitious. But the Lord blessed us after that. Like, we started saying, this money isn't ours, and we don't have any anyway. And somehow, like, miraculously, like, we had the water shut off, and then uh, we were all, this was before we had the baby. We were newlyweds, and we had the water shut off in our apartment in Virginia. And then the city of Richmond sent us a letter, like, the same day. That said, oops, we overcharged you. They taxed you to have a car in the city. We overcharged you on your car tax, so here's $200 back. Like, it was exactly the same amount. And I just was like, whoa. You know, somehow it always, the Lord always cares for us, so why am I worrying about this? So we started being more, you know, like, just let, just release it. You know, just release it. This money isn't mine anyway. When I need it, the Lord gives it. When I don't, he takes it. Uh, whatever, whatever. Um and ever since then, I have been so financially blessed. It's sort of, uh, it's been kind of shocking. So again, avoiding superstition here, but the maybe it's the mindset. Maybe it's the Lord blessing me. I don't know. But the idea of releasing that money. Uh, and so that's a habit that we've kept as the income has grown. The tithing has grown naturally. Um, and it's a joy. That's the other thing. I think with tithing, it should feel like a joy. 
uh, like when we began to sponsor baby Zach, it was like, this is a joy to do. Um, and it was terrifying, but it also felt like, a um, an invitation that we didn't want to say no to. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that adds anything to this conversation, but that's where I stand on it. Take it, Lord, take all the money. Money is evil. Take it, whatever you want. Just take it. Well, that's kind of where I stand, too. And that's what I meant by the whole biblical principle. Like, you know, you can't outgive God. Like, you know, I, I believe that, you know, when you're in need, you know, he'll meet that need. Again, not prosperity doctrine, not a G6. Um, and also, I guess it's really easy because, you know, it's like it's like the woman with the two pennies. I mean, you know, I have a little more than two pennies. But I mean, it's it's like, you know, she gave more because she gave all she had. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's really easy to, uh, you know, talk about percentages instead of absolutes because it's like, oh, well, the percentage I gave is enormous. I gave like 50%. It's like, you know, 50% of 10 bucks is, is not a lot, but I could feel really holy. I, I mean, you know, I have more than $10, but I mean, probably like Steph in her college days. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that, you know, giving is, uh, is something that's important. Um, the, going back just a second ago, I think the whole payment plan thing, that's just, that screams of grifting to me. Um, like that's just, yeah, that's disgusting. Um, as far as the whole, I, I think, Nate, either you and I have some friends in common or that Facebook post made it to the heathen community as well, because I saw the same letter. Oh, um, in the last like day or two? Yeah, last day or two. And it's it's a woman's hand covering up the name on the top of the, the letter. It says like Church of Church of Christ yeah, at yeah, the top yeah, of the you letter. Can, you can clearly oh my see gosh, the... we got to figure out what, what Facebook group we're in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I saw the same letter and I, I just, it kind of made me giggle a little bit. Um, I, but I think, I think you're saying a lot in, in what you said, you know, that there's kind of, you know, no timeline. I think that although with, with, with one caveat, I think that if someone is going to talk the talk, they should walk the walk. So if a if a if a church any church or the hell the hell that any organization if an organization is going to set out a rule of principles of conduct and things like that then they should adhere to them and if people want to be it's like you can be a member of this group here are rules of conduct you follow these rules of conduct thumbs up don't thumbs down fine um, but the, the the timeline thing also makes it seem like kind of like a like an invoice almost right yeah um, you know here here you know here's this thing dated this day you know like. Uh, you know, you know, 2% 15th of the day, net 30, right? If you're like, you know, paying bills as a, you know, like the Steph will know what I mean when I say that. Um, so I, I found that, I find that all kind of uh, funny, but I, I think giving is, going back to the giving thing, I think giving is important. Um, and I think, but my personal stance on it is to give within your, is to give within your comfort level because you can't, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect you know, people to take care of others if they can't take care of themselves. You know, so like what, what my wife and I do is we, okay, here's everything we need. You know, here's some of the things that we want and here's what's left over. And then we, and then we divvy those, those things up, you know, as we see fit. Um, and, you know, part of the whole, like, you know, what we need because we need to survive. What we want is because uh, we work hard and we're going to enjoy this life. So, and then what's left over, we, you know, we give to, you know, we, we give to others. And I think that that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable thing. My, and, uh, I, I could identify a lot with what Steph said, because when it was time for me to go to university, I was like, I went to my parents who did not have, like, I grew up quite poor, actually. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. They're like, great. Here's your OSAP forms. OSAP is the Ontario Student Assistance Program, uh, basically student <laughs> loans. Um, like, here's the OSAP forms. Hope they can help you. And, and it took me. 14 years to pay it off. 
So, yeah, like I, I, I could, I, I'm I could identify with thirteen, and I am not even close, man. Fourteen years. I would well, I, I, I well, going to forgive all your loans, Steph. <laughs> yeah, that's why I ignore. Yeah, that remember. that reminds me of a song. Song. Eighteen yeah. years. Eighteen years. I just. Yeah, Steph. Remember, I, I married well. Oh, um, see, I should have done that. You guys did not get that carpenter. Right. No, we got it. We got it. <laughs> Listen, Michael. But yeah. the thing is that in in the, I get okay. I don't know if this is biblical. We give first, right? So what we do is we say, here are the needs in our community. Here are the needs of people around us. We give first, and the Lord arranges the rest. And someone's going to have to correct me if that's not in the Bible, but that's what we have been called to do, and that's what we do. I, and I know that it seems illogical, but you know, it puts you in this mindset where you're like, it's going to come, right? It, it's going to come. The, the the rest of it will be arranged. Well, it's kind of like a it's it's like a position of faith. So I mean, you know, there. I, I mean, yeah. I, I I I would struggle to find a scripture reference, but like you know the the inference is there. So it's like instead of like you know, it's like if you give out of your abundance, then, you know, great, you're not really doing much. Like, it's leftovers anyway, versus kind of this, like, faith position, like you're exercising. Like, you know, I really think I should do this. Um, I don't my, – my bank account may say differently, but I'm going to practice what I preach and, you know, demonstrate my faith in God by giving something that's definitely going to hurt um, unless, you know, God shows up. And that, that's kind of like the, the giving Christian position. Um versus you know giving out of abundance it's like a sacrificial giving and then you know you're demonstrating yeah. faith and like steph says you know god will you know show up and that's what i you know keep going back to malachi three ten. it's not a commandment but i think that's where at least i and it sounds like steph sees the principle that you know you cannot give god so if you're like okay i really know this person needs it more than me this is going to hurt me but you know i trust god to you know take care of me so you know you meet this person's need and then someone else will be like oh oops hey you overpaid um here take this like completely unexpected just you know things like that so you could say it's incredibly coincidental and interesting or you can say you know you stepped out in faith and did this because you know you saw a benefit for this person so you gave and you know in some way shape or form god um he took care of you uh aaron yeah. what's up i haven't seen you in forever hello i'm alive <laughs> i was gonna ask like are things settled down a little bit um, third world never settles down. Um, <laughs> but I'm okay. Um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say the verse that says that you can't serve God. And Jesus says you can't serve God in Mammon, which was the God of riches, right? Because you'll either love one and hate the other or vice versa. So Jesus clearly says that you either serve God or you serve money. You can't serve both. And so these prosperity teachers, you know, when they say uh, plant a seed because God will give you back, then think about the intention of your heart, the motivation of you giving is that motivation. I'm going to give to God because I love God and I want to bless others versus I'm going to give to God because I'm going to get something back. It's like total opposite uh, motivation, total opposite reason for giving. The reason you give God, give to God, you can't, like you said, you can't give to, to God. But the reason you give is out of love. 
is out of, you give to other people also that are in need out of love. So when you think I'm going to get something back, literally you're being greedy. And where in the Bible does it say, you know, even if it's through faith, it's like, oh no, I have faith that I'm going to give, you know, whatever here. And then I'm going to get all this back. And then it's like, wait, if you're giving to get, then you're not giving to give. And God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what I have a problem with is the ultimate motivation and what you're uh, disseminating in the church when you tr- when you teach this prosperity thing is that the person's going to get something back. So they're being greedy. And that's the opposite of the nature of Christ. That is not the fruit of the spirit. You're not giving to get anything. You're yeah, giving to help, to love. Yeah. 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 On a similar yeah, note, I wonder if God honors growth. Yeah. I wonder if God honors vows of poverty for in the same way if people are already poor. Like, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if I'm like, yeah, I'll take, or that's like, you know, trying to fast if you're, you know, going on a diet anyway. It's like, does God honor that the same? I wonder. Like, oh, I'm oh. fasting, Lord. I also need to lose 20 pounds. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hey, so I think there's a good point, though, to be made about the early church in Acts. What we need to understand um, historically... It was a utopia? Right. Sorry, what we need to understand historically is that when they were in Jerusalem, when people converted to Christianity, the other people would no longer do business with them. And so they couldn't buy or sell or trade. And so the reason that people were giving away their property and all this stuff was because the the people of Judea were attempting to starve out the Christians. You read this in church history. So, I mean, it's not, it was a unique place. It was only in Judea, Jerusalem, um, and it was nowhere else in the Christian world for a long time until you have the monastic movement. But that's a, that's a totally different thing. But the idea that somehow the early church had this ideal of, you know, everybody pooling their resources. It was a survival strategy more than it was a prescription for us. That is interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that. Really? I I understand that, um, you know, that's one way of interpreting it. I believe that the apostles, um, there was such level of trust and and such level of integrity and honesty and transparency and also they were helping the widows and the orphans which is a commandment you know uh so there was such level of of integrity that it wasn't a problem you know uh whereas nowadays sapphira I didn't understand what what he said. What? Except for Ananias and Sapphira, the integrity part, because they lied. Oh yeah, well they they were struck dead right away. That's what I'm saying. You mean from the leadership? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the integrity in the leadership, not in the people that came. Um, I'm talking about the leadership. So yeah, not someone trying to put them on a payment plan. Right. Like if you compare the leadership of the primitive church versus you know, the fantastic, I'm being sarcastic, leaders that we find today, <laughs> then you understand the trust level that there was there. So, yeah. 
Oh my gosh, I saw it. Speaking of, like, you, you just wonder how cults start. Um, I saw yet another Facebook post. Michael, maybe we're in this group too, but well, probably not. This is like a progressive Christian group. Group, but um, it was it was. Um, Look at these amazing men of God. I'm so blessed to be a part of this conference. And it showed, uh, like, it was like the who's who of, you know, Chris's heretic list. It was like Joel Osteen and I think like the, the Fertnick guy and like someone else that you commonly mentioned, but they're all in a picture together. And it, I just, I wanted to comment, but it was like too many. Like there, there were just like hundreds of comments. Like I'm so, and, and the Facebook group I'm in is like a Facebook group that kind of makes fun of progressive Christianity. So they're always like sharing posts from these other groups. So anyway, that's where I saw it from. But I'm just like, oh my gosh. And like occasionally one person would like say something negative about it. And it was kind of like along the lines of don't touch God's anointed, that type thing. I'm like, oh my Lord. Like this is how cults start. Oh my gosh. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. That makes me, that, that's like when you're a kid in the back seat with your brother or sister and you're driving to somewhere and, you know, it's like, he's touching me. She's touching me. That's what, that's what I think of. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. <laughs> well, you know, what's weird is that we, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll need correction on this, but we also give to, no, probably not. This is probably fine. We give to groups that are outside the church as well. So actually one of the top priorities on my giving list is this random dude on YouTube <laughs> who runs a discord channel and a YouTube channel that's helping people get out of anxiety and depression. Um, but he, whatever, it's a whole long thing. Anyway, he cusses a lot. He is super not religious, but we give to him because he's just doing amazing work and he needs it. And he's kind of doing all this stuff for free. I don't know. Is there a problem with tithing to things outside the church, especially since we were just talking about the purpose of tithing in the first place? Well, I don't think you would count it a tithe. I think tithe. Well, yeah, not tithe. Well, it goes into the thing. giving budget, like charity or giving. Or... Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not Michael gonna. I'm not gonna. Hand out now. <laughs> yeah, mental, health, yeah well, mental health. Mental health charities are incredibly important. And Steph, thank you. Uh, for for anything that you do to to uh, to positively impact mental health, it's one of those things that um, is so incredibly stigmatized, um, and it uh, it it often takes a uh, mental health charities often take a back seat to other medical charities because you can't quote unquote see you know um, personality disorders, you can't see depression. Right. You can see the effects, but not the but not that itself versus, you know, things like, uh, you know, cancer or other things like that. So, yeah, those things are, are incredibly important. And, and mental health gets a mental health charities get a good uh, chunk of our yearly giving as well. So maybe what we should do is take all the money away from anti Second Amendment groups and give them to mental health counseling groups. Would you guys be in support of that? I would. Yes. <laughs> Are you talking about the people okay. who are, are you talking about the people who protest against the Second Amendment? Well, more like the organizations like Every Town America, et cetera. They're multi million dollar organizations that get all the hype and the and the virtue signaling dollars. It's it's funny. This is a huge this has always been a huge disconnect for me. Um I mean Canada has has millions of guns, but um it it is, and I think I may have even said this in this room before. It is incredibly difficult to get a gun in Canada. Um, you have to 
you have to fill out a, basically an application for something called an FAC, which is a firearms acquisition certificate. And then you get interviewed. And basically, if you don't pass the interview, you can't have a gun. Um, and, and so it's not your right. It's a privilege in Canada. And so there's a huge disconnect for me. Like I, mm -hmm. I just like, I just don't, I can't wrap my brain around it the same way Americans can, because it's not, it, because it's not ingrained in, you know, it's <laughs> certainly not in our constitution. Ingrained. Well, because so you guys don't have a, a kind of sense of natural rights. That's, I mean, because you, your, your government wasn't based on natural rights. Your government was based on, you know, the, the rule of law for, um, for peasants and as subjects. And so that's a totally well, yeah, different yeah. type yeah, of thing than yeah, the, based on the a Enlightenment. Yeah, it's based on a monarchy. Right, exactly. So your rights are yeah. given to you by the king as opposed to a natural rights regime like Edmund Burke is talking about, um, that you have natural rights and the government is there to protect natural rights. And so owning a gun would be what we consider natural rights. So you, you have a right to free speech to a point. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. are, there are laws against some portions of like not all speech is protected in Canada. Yeah, you're right. Right. So, so the thing is, is like, take the analog from the American perspective for you to be able to get on clubhouse and say an opinion, you have to fill out a form. You have to pay a fee. You have to be interviewed by the government and then they will say yay or nay to issue you a clubhouse account. That's the same thing. Well, I mean, that's I, like Erin, where she is too. Like, you know, it's a lot more restrictive. Yeah, I think there's a galaxy of difference between those things. It may be, it might be a little bit of an oversimplification. But, but what, but I understand, I understand where you're coming from, Chris. What, what's interesting though is, uh, and this is this is something that I've, uh, I'll say quite a bit. So, if you look at the, if you if you Google the Canadian Constitution, you look at the preamble to the Canadian Constitution. Um, it says right in there that uh, we, basically the writers of this, it says where we recognize the supremacy of almighty God. It's in our constitution. And yet, we are vastly more secular than the United States. I've always found that very interesting. Well, I mean, that's like, you know, practice what you preach. That's like, you know, our constitution, like, you know, freedom of speech and, you know, right to bear arms and things like that um, versus what, you know, our government is, is doing, uh, you know. Are, are very different things. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the well, back of our money, in guard we trust. No, we don't. I mean, I do. A couple Christians do. The government doesn't. Yeah, but that wasn't even on, on money from the get-go, but that's a whole different topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, remember the the American infatuation with gun ownership is because the protection of the right to own guns is is supposed to be our ability to protect ourselves from the government, from tyranny. Uh, we don't have the right to go shoot each other, right? So the whole idea is that you set up a government, uh, but then give the people the right and the permission to protect themselves from said government. Uh, that's why the threat of removing uh, the right to bear arms is scary because it's, it's the uh, removal of the, you know, even if it's just like nobody owns a tank, right? The government will always overpower citizens at this point. But the sentiment that, you know, the government should be in check uh, by its own people or, uh, you know, the people should be able to check the government. That's the removal of that is the part that's scary. 
Well, yeah, and it's interesting because I, I, I think I agree with what you're saying there, Steph, and it, and I think that's why that, and again, outsider's perspective, I think that's why the Second Amendment is so antiquated, right? Because, you know, you could take, I think the last estimate that I saw was something around 410 million guns, registered guns in the United States. Um, okay. Give everybody two guns uh, and, you know, do your best. Try to march on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Details, Michael, details. It's well, the principle no, of the but, thing. Well, well, hang, hang, on, hang, on, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 I, I gotta, I gotta say something. Yeah, so Chris's point, half the military would, you know, be, be in support of those people. So, you know, you can't say the government has nukes. Well, the government you would want to fight against has nukes, but the other half of the government on your side also has control of those nukes. So it's like, you know, you've got like pretty much half the country is split. So like anyone that would fight the government, it's it's half versus half. And then secondly, if you don't want to go to, you know, and if you want to talk about large artillery, chemical weapons, you know, nukes, things like that, that means that would put the government in a very precarious position to be the pariah of the world, just like Syria and these other places that turn against their own people. So yeah, a couple guns aren't going to overthrow a country with you know weapons of mass destruction, but th that's going to force them. So unless they want to be that evil and be hated by the world, then they're not going to pull out the big guns. And also, if you're not going to go to the federal level, like look at the um, was it the Bundy Ranch or whatever in the last few years, like the the government was illegal. Um, not the army, not the military, but like you know groups of the government was coming out to try to illegally take their land or whatever that was. And I guess they won in court. I just saw something resurfaced in the news, like they won their court case. So it was recognized the government did something unjustly. And they had their group of people, their small little country town militia that staved off the group who I guess could have bombed them, but they saw that would have been bad and made them automatically evil. So they just had a gun standoff and, you know, they went away and turns out the government was wrong. The people were right. They got to keep their land. So that's a great example of the Second Amendment, you know, like uh, justly defending themselves against local or small groups of government until, you know, the justice system can come in, the federal government can come in and, you know, rectify the wrong done. So, you know, the Second Amendment is very, very uh, not antiquated. And also, let's not forget the J6. I don't believe what I'm about to say for a second, but this is their talking point. When they say this is the greatest attack on democracy since like the civil freaking war, objectively false. But they say this. So a bunch of unarmed people show up and walk through minding their thing on guiding ropes. So if they say that is the worst attack on democracy and how they could almost overthrow the government by unarmedly walking into a building, then, you know, they either need to retract that talking point or recognize, you know, people with guns are a lot more, um, you know, resistible to their government than unarmed people walking through and paying mind to guidelines um, and guide ropes. That's Anyways. a good point. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and again, I, I, I say all of these things, when I talk about these types of things, I, I say it with the, with, the, with the caveat inserted that I can't see it from, from your, I can't see it from your standpoint. Because to, like, to me, very personally, like I live 100 yard, 150 yards away from a police fire and ambulance. That's good enough for me. That, that's good oh. enough for me. I, what? I don't like Who guns. Lived three hundred miles away from the nearest. I know. still, I, I, I don't like guns. I wouldn't have a gun in my house. I don't like guns. I'll protect you if you're in my neighbor. I'd protect you. Um, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I, I have a background in law enforcement, so you know, I, I grew up around guns, like you know, shooting stuff when I was like very young. So I mean, I, I just like it, and I also like the, I, I like the con control factor. It's the same reason I don't like to be a passenger. I don't like to put my, my life in the hands of other people. I mean, obviously, if there's like you know, I need a doctor or surgery. I mean, you know. I don't have that ability. 
But if I have the ability to drive, if I have the ability to protect myself through through guns, through you know security measures, through cameras, whatever, um, I, I want to be in control. I want to take my fate into my own hands as much as possible. So you know, I'm I myself, I'm very comfortable around this stuff, and um, I want to be my first line of defense. You know, I, I there's a, a police and fire about um, you know about three miles away from me, and um, you know that's great. If there's a problem, I will definitely call them. But, you know, in the three minutes, three, five minutes it'll take them to get here, um, or if they're on another call and no one's available, then, you know, 30 plus minutes. Like, who knows? Like, I'm in a pretty remote area. We just happen to have the station close to me. Um, but if all of those things are dispatched, um, they're going to be dispatched somewhere much farther away. So, I mean, not only the practicality of that where I live, um, but, yeah, I mean, I want to be the first line of defense. Like, no one's going to be faster to an emergency you're in than you. Like you're already there or, you know, if it's a choice between, you know, I have to use the Second Amendment to defend myself or, you know, use my gun to defend my myself and my family um, versus uh, do I, I have 30 seconds to make a 911 call. And, you know, by the time I try to give them my address, I'm already dead. Uh, you know, so so I understand people that don't want anything to do with it, uh, you know, but that's a risk they assume and that, you know, they're responsible for their action or inaction. So, um, you know, I I would be happy to give you gun training if you're my neighbor or something like that and you know, encourage you. But ultimately, if you're nope, don't like him, don't need him, don't trust myself around him, I don't want anything to do with it, then you know that's fine. Um, but then when it comes to me, like I definitely want to control my fate as much as possible. Yeah, and it's interesting, but but I mean, like, so there's um, and and I think it, I think it just goes again to the to to the mindset in general. And I'm not going to say better better or worse, just different. Um, and then I'll set up a counseling session for you and your control your control issues. Um, <laughs> but um. I, I I find it like because there is because it's very difficult to get a gun in can like really like it really is hard you can but you sure get a gun illegally but yeah um there isn't the there isn't the the like I don't worry about going play like I, when I look at people on the street do they have a gun essentially never pops into my head ever it, it's just not a thing. And it's and it's and it's just this 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 glaring difference in in uh, in in how we live our lives. I'm in neighborhoods a lot where everyone has one but me, and uh, the the idea of getting a concealed carry is getting more and more prominent in my life. Right. What does Chad think of that? Yeah, he hates it. He really would like for me to stop doing that. Yeah. I, I love these people. I can't stop. I really like it. I really like. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, I work with, um, I work in uh, at-risk housing, low-income and affordable housing uh, in a pretty low economic area in upstate New York. And yeah, he hates it. But we have the things on, <laughs> we have the things on our phones where uh, with the iPhone, you can watch where the other person is. And we just have the location on all the time. So I put my calendar in the phone and then he watches my location. If I'm not where I say I'm going to be, he texts me. And if I don't respond, he calls. So it's kind of an annoying system, but it does work. But no, I've never had anything happen, but I know that, you know, well, okay, twice I had someone pull a gun on me, but that's another story. <laughs> Goodness. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and it's like, the, and the time to make the argument, like, you know, we're getting more civil and it's antiquated, like, if anything, we're devolving and it's making a, you know, it's making, a, it's becoming a necessity, like with, you know, many of these cities, not to get political, but, you know, um, you, you know, when they're really restricting police, like cops are retiring like crazy. I mean, they're all coming to where I live. Like, they're like, nah, I, I cashed out early. Like, screw that. I'm done. Like, they can have their city. 
So I'm like, this is very real where I am. You know, I, I live in a neighborhood with like, you know, 200 retired NYPD officers. Like, you know, they're fleeing that place and everyone they know is getting out to it around like Boston, New Jersey, like all these other places. Like I see this stuff firsthand. So it's not just like parroting something like I live this. Um, except on the good end, because they're all coming here. But that means it's bad for the people still staying there. And, you know, when everyone's like, you know, the policies of our leaders, um, you know, they're just letting people out of jail. So it's like, you know, you have people bragging about it, like the criminals who are arrested. They're like, hey, man, hold this for me. I'll be out in a few hours. Like after they've just committed like armed robbery and assault um, it's, it's crazy. So like there is absolutely increasingly a need to be able to defend yourself. Um, then there was even, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you could make the case things are getting better, blah, 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 police are better. I mean, it's definitely going the other way. Um, just saying. Hey, Nate, Raul is on the stage, and I think he's been trying to get in for a bit, but I know you're playing games and probably aren't watching. Oh, uh, CEO? Is that who you mean? Yeah. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Right, uh-oh, we oh, don't hear no, you. Oh, no, um, the audio's not working. Uh, yeah, just tried leaving and coming back. Um, but yeah, we, we don't hear you. That usually fixes if you just leave and come back. Let's give him a second. How am I now? All right. You are. Yeah, you're good now. Okay, Michael, so I wanted to give you another perspective. So America was founded over growing Uh-oh. government. So our skepticism is always going to be there. So. Yeah, I can't put myself in your place. Yeah, like there is, and, and it's it's hard. So, I mean, there is, I have no delusions on you know Canada being this perfect utopian society but but the flip side of that is I'm, I remember sitting down having a conversation Shannon and I my wife and I was sitting down having a talk one day and um she got headhunted by a hospital foundation in the U.S. and they offered her a lot of money and so we sat down sit, uh, and sat down and talked about it and there was when it came down to it there wasn't a scenario that they could present to us that would have us live in the United States. What? No. But Canadians yeah. come to Florida like crazy for vacation and to live and stuff like that. So why? Yeah. Why we different? Don't have just because Tim of Hortons, the NHL down here stinks. We don't have enough maple syrup. You know. Is that why? Like, I think it's because of health it insurance. No, I think it's because of health insurance. Yeah, largely. It's it's oh. largely largely because health insurance and and it's a, but it's also largely a like it's like so for example i am in uh, my office currently in my house um i am no i'm not even in earshot of my front door right if someone could be walking in my house right now and i wouldn't know my door's not locked i don't worry about stuff yo like michael that. what's your address though <laughs> yeah i mean i do need a new tv <laughs> yeah i, I like I don't think about the like we, that is we, funny. we don't think about stuff. Well, it, but Michael, well, yeah. I mean, do you see a a little problem? Like, I mean, I, I get that you don't think about that, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is. I, I want to think it could be because you know my security background, but I mean, I also think it's just like normal, normal like stuff anyone would think of. Like, if you don't think about it, I mean, you don't think about it until you have to think about it, and when you have to think about it, that's when you know. Congratulations, you're the victim of a very small amount of crime in Canada. But whenever you're the target or whenever that person's the target, they think about it real fast. And then they're like, oh, crap, I should have prepared. I mean, does that not come in at all? Or like you'll just wait and hopefully it never happens. But if it did, like 
you know, to all the people it's already happened to. Like, I never thought about it. I never thought this could happen to me until it did. And it's like, well, you know, I don't want to be all gloom and doom, but I mean, that's like a very real possibility. I mean, crime yeah. does happen no matter how small the percentage. Um, Absolutely. You know, let's just hope it never happens to you. I no, mean, you're, you're, you're also, right. most people don't live in neighborhoods well, where that's. Oh, yeah, I was well, just well, going to say, like, yeah, like no, that's, no, that's a very small percentage of neighborhoods that have the ability you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like there are like, for example, so I'm just east of Toronto, right? Um, if I if I lived in Toronto proper, I, I think I would have a different mindset. But I used to live in Toronto and I didn't like so when I was a kid, it was very much I live very much the way I live now. We you know, we didn't we didn't lock our door, stuff like that. It was all it, it was it was just that's just kind of the way it was. Um, when I lived in Toronto, my mindset had to change. When we left Toronto, I breathed a sigh of relief because if I come in my house and I lock my door, I feel more locked in than keeping people out, if that makes sense. The thing is this about locked doors. People don't know this. I live in Brazil, so I, I find it, I don't know, it's just, it's hard for me to imagine a world where I would be in my house and not lock my door. Um, because I have a steel door with steel sidings, concrete walls, concrete sidings. So for somebody to get to my room, they would have to go through two steel doors and they would, then they would have to unlock the first door to my bedroom, which is wood. And then they would have to unlock the second door to my bedroom, which they could, because if you have a crowbar, you can get a, 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 um, a wooden door open within 30 seconds. So with a crowbar, a person can get into your house within 30 seconds, unless you have more than one lock. Like you have a, a lock at the top, a lock at the bottom. So you have three locks, top, middle, bottom, right? And you have parallel locks, um, which I do have that also. So um, yeah, not that somebody couldn't get into my house, but they'd have to shoot a lot and it could still ricochet the bullets off the steel doors. So the thing is from, you know, and also there's bars on every single window and my, in my, my, um, my, uh, even if you want to put an axe to my um, wall, the walls are not made out of wood. They're made out of concrete and brick. So you can get in, but, you know, I still don't have everything in place that I want to have in place because I'm going to make it even more secure than it is right now. But the point is, like, the best thing for you to do is if you want to live like that, like not locking your door or locking it, you could get through a window really quickly if you don't have bars on your window. You just roll yourself in like these thick blankets and jump and you can get out of your house. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not that hard to get out. Like, it, it would be hard to get out of my house, uh, but not yours. You know what I mean? Like, you don't. The thing, the thing that, that I think is like worrying about you, my, your mindset, Michael, is that you're not thinking about the exception, sociopath, psychopath. There's a there's a pastor in a small town that nothing ever happened, and this guy, uh, this some guy, just got uh, really drugged up and went into his house and stabbed this pastor like seventy sometimes, and nothing ever happened in this small town in the U.S. And I was like, dude. Like he survived and he's all deformed. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like it just, it just is really freaky to me. The best thing to do to not get into that situation is have as much, you know, 
prevention as possible. And so you never know if there's going to be a psycho or a sociopath. And also if you read like documentaries of sociopaths and psychopaths, they try to go to these small towns where nothing ever happened and random to do things because that way they don't get caught and nobody's expecting it. So they literally target places that are super calm, you know? So I, I just, I wouldn't chance it if I were you, you know what I mean? Follow Aaron for more children's uh, bedtime stories. <laughs> well, no, and, and it is interesting. Sure. So, I mean, I, I work, I work with the exceptions to the rule. Um, so I, I guess I just have a different, now I should, I should, uh, clarify that this is what I do when I'm home alone. When my wife comes home, she locks the door and I don't unlock it, uh, because, you know, she needs, you know, she likes, she likes the idea of having the door locked. And if she's home alone, she always locks the door. Or basically if I'm not here, the door's locked. But I, and I can't, I can't offer any more explanation than I have. It's just kind of. Uh, sense of feeling and and honestly i i'm glad i'm glad that you feel secure or at least feel more secure where you are and but as you were describing your your living situation it it didn't make me feel comfortable like i don't like and but it's probably the opposite you it probably makes you feel more comfortable with all these things in place where i would feel like oh okay i live in a prison um and so but i also like my next door neighbor is from um is from brazil uh, he, he and his wife and his uh, and his two kids. Uh, they've been here for about ten years now, um, and he's he's a great guy, love him to death. Um, and he he's told me similar stories to what you've told me about you know some of the horrible things that have gone on and the the corruption and things like that. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, you know, with, with you know short of you know the technology needed to one day be able to plug you into my brain so you can understand my thought process. I got nothing else. Well, let's see. Um, I don't know. Anyone have, else has been I have a question, for a while? Nate. I have a oh, question. yeah, go ahead, Erin. All right. So, you know, I've been doing this 300-word document page to prove um, the Trinity to every single cult <laughs> that comes up. Because that's they always hit uh, Jesus Christ is God. They always hit that, you know, they always hit that part. So there's another cult. Uh, there's there's cults out there um, that say the following: that yes, Jesus is God. However, he had a beginning, and so now I'm like, wait, what? How's he God? Like they're not saying that he's not God because there's so many verses that say he's God. I have all those verses ready for whoever says Jesus is not God, um, but they're saying he had a beginning, and so I'm like. Oh my goodness. I'm like, I'm putting together all the verses that show that Jesus as God, the father existed in eternity past, you know, and it's, it's hard to fight this one because like when you're fighting the one that Jesus is not God, there's just too many verses that show scripturally that Jesus is God. And so they, they don't, that one I I can, I can pr disprove that one, but now I'm going after Jesus's. So this idea is Jesus is God. However, he has a beginning mm -hmm. and I have, okay. So I've collected the following verses, John one, one through three in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So it doesn't say in the beginning, 
the word was created. It just said was the word. So the word we know by John 1 14, that the word is Christ himself. So uh, not only that, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him, nothing that was made was made to me. That is very, very, very clear that everything was made through Christ and nothing that was made was made. So therefore, how could Christ create himself if everything was made through him and nothing that was made was made? Not just in John 1, 3, but also Colossians saying that everything was made through him. Um, but what they're saying is this. OK, this this new idea is or whatever. I don't know if it's an old idea is that. God the Father existed in the beginning, and then God the Son was generated through God the Father, and then through God the Son, all the rest of the etern- all the rest of the creation. Because I can show a lot of verses that show that Jesus existed before any of creation. We have all those verses too. So I have that part. And that everything was created through Christ, which makes him the creator, uh, which makes him God. So they're not denying that he's God. And they're not even denying that everything was made through him. But they're, but they're saying that he had a beginning. And I have a few verses that come about this, but not enough in my opinion. I have... Um, the verse that says, okay, th- this is what I have so far. I would like for you guys to add on to this list of verses. Uh, Hebrews 1.8, where God the Father says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and, and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter, a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So this is talking about Jesus. And God the Father is saying of the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. So how is it that this, this is my logical thinking trying to explain to people that believe that Jesus had a beginning? If if the father is saying that the son's throne is a scepter of righteous forever and ever, how did he have a beginning? Right. So that's one verse that I use to combat that idea. I also use every I'm trying to find all the verses that say Elohim, which is the plural form of God, which uh, where it says that he is forever and ever. And we find that in Isaiah 40, verse 28. Um, how hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting and the word there, God is Elohim. So the everlasting Elohim, which is the plural form of God, the Lord in English, but in the original it's Yahweh. So it's saying the name of God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So therefore it's saying everlasting Elohim. I also have Deuteronomy 33, 27, which is eternal Elohim, which is plural form of God. And Psalm 41, 13, blessed be Yahweh Elohim of Israel. So therefore, Elohim is the plural form of God, again, denoting God the Father, God the Son, and all three of them and calling them everlasting. So, uh... The other verse I have, I have only one more verse to prove that Jesus Christ is everlasting, which is 1 Timothy 1.17. 
Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's calling Jesus here. If you read 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, you know it's talking about Jesus Christ. So it's calling him eternal, immortal, invisible. So eternal would mean he didn't have beginning. To me, like, I don't understand why there's still this doctrine when there's so many verses that show otherwise. Um, if anyone else has verses, I would greatly appreciate it because I'm trying to, to kill that the, doctrine. The doctrine of eternal generation of Christ. Is that, is that one of the doctrines there's you're a, talking about? There's a doctrine where it says that God the Father existed in eternity past. However, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, is still God. He's God, but he was, he has a beginning. So he was like generated. I, I, I had a problem with that particular doctrine as well, being eternally generated by God. I mean, because it almost, because it implies that there's a beginning somewhere where God is foundational, but he's being eternally generated. Well, no, they, they're not even generated. saying eternally generate. They're saying he has a beginning. They're saying that in the beginning, when the when time began, yeah, they're saying so, yeah, that when Chris. time began. Oh, well, I'm, I'm uh, explaining uh, to Daniel. Uh, oh, sorry, just to clear up, Professor uh, CEO. I also saw your message. I didn't know if that was since you spoke or if that's before you spoke. No, that was um, before I spoke. You're good. Okay, I'm sorry. I just got that. Uh, but well, it sounded like Chris um, had a handle on it, so I, I'd like him to talk. And if no one still gets it. Then clarify for Vangel, but I think Chris got it. Um, if you wanted to say something, Chris. Sure. So, so, Aaron, what you're talking about is a is a heresy called Arianism. Okay, it was the first heresy in the church, and so if you go back and you research the notes on the Nicene Creed, and you look at the uh, notes on the Athanasian Creed that will give you every verse that you need, but you also need to pick up a systematic theology. Because the way that we stop Arianism is through systematic theology. You can't proof text your way through it. Uh, did that... Uh, what, uh, I, I, I have a systematic... Wait, I have systematic theology already. Which one do you have? And I get the... I have Wayne Gruden's. Oh, good. Okay. I have, That's the one I was going to suggest. Uh, yeah. So read, read up on uh, the eternal sonship of Christ. So that's a really good passage in there. That'll give you some more ammunition. But yeah, look up Arianism, A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. And that, that, that's been a heresy for like 1,700 years that the church has been fighting. Arianism. So there's lots of stuff on it. Uh, Daniel, he said Nicene Creed, and what was the other creed, Chris? Athanasian Creed. Wouldn't uh, and if it doesn't give you, if it doesn't give you, hang on, if it doesn't give you the um the scripture references, uh, just re-Google one like with the scripture references, because I mean you you don't want just the creed; you want to make sure you get like the creed that after every line it's got the actual scripture scripture references pulling from. So, just a pro tip. Make sure you get one with the scripture references. Uh, go ahead, Sean. Uh, Sean, you were saying? I was just going to ask a question. Uh, 
wouldn't you say that Gnosticism would be the first heresy started by um, Simon Magus, also, uh, uh, the one who uh, we read about in Acts 8? Sure. I mean, proto-Gnosticism, the, uh, they all go I would say that would be the first heresy that the church had to fight. Sure, yeah. but I think that Arianism grew out of Gnosticism as well. So, so well, the root is Gnosticism. I mean, the root of the root of all false religion is Gnosticism. There are only two religions in the world. There is Christianity, and there is Gnosticism. There's a really good um, series by a guy named Peter Jones, and so he breaks down the two world systems: Gnosticism versus Christianity. Gnosticism is not just a heresy of Christianity, it's a religion all of its own. And uh, Peter Jones breaks down, I think it's an eight-part series, on how Gnosticism is the world's system, that there are only two world religions at the end of the day. Guys, we That's have a really great question in the chat. Can I please read it, please? Oh, please, yes. Okay. If a person believes Jesus is God, then where was God the nine months that Mary was pregnant? Would you like to speak to that first, Steph? <laughs> yes, Steph, give it a shot. No, I actually think that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, okay, so what we know is that we know a couple of things. We know that Jesus humbled himself, that God humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and came down and sort of relinquished a certain part of this to have the uh, human existence, the fully human existence that he had, right? And then we also know that life begins at conception. So my assumption is that uh, that the fetus, the baby, the pre-born Christ was still God. That That's where I'm going to answer that. Yep. What say you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, and, and also Jesus retained all of his omni-properties even during the incarnation. So uh, there's something called the extra-Calvinisticum, which just means that uh, Jesus is always has always been omnipresent, and so when we talk about the incarnation, Jesus did not lay down any of his omni-properties. Let's just be really clear about that. Wait, okay. Then how did Jesus grow in wisdom? So the incarnation, in the incarnation, there is something called the communicato idiomatum. That is the communication of the properties. Okay. That's a big Latin word that just means the communication of the properties. The part of it is mystery. We do not know how the incarnation exactly worked, but what we can surmise from scripture, knowing that Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom is that in his human incarnation, in terms of when he took on his human nature, his human nature is what grew in knowledge and wisdom. His divine nature cannot grow by definition. Yeah, this gets really interesting. I mean, it sounds like you're saying Jesus didn't give up anything actually but it sounds like he did i mean because even in the garden it seems like he came into knowledge of how he was going to be crucified some of the details he didn't already know which is why he prayed the way that he did so i i'm, I'm having a hard time that, that's not what i'm saying jesus jesus gave up everything to become the incarnation but he did not give up his divine properties. It's not that he emptied himself of his divinity in order to take on the incarnation. That's all we're saying. What, buddy, buddy, the sacrifice that Jesus buddy. made, sorry? Turn 
learn some, he didn't allow him that he didn't allow himself to access some of it or what how do you describe that that because it seems like he didn't have those not to use right so 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 there's a bunch of a bunch of different things that you know people talk about there's something called kenosis there's something called subkenosis um, you know, how did the human nature understand the divine nature, right? So Jesus is a single divine person with a human nature added, okay? That is the hypostatic union. When we talk about how the hypostatic union would communicate the omni-properties, we just, again, we don't know. The scripture does not give us any information, so we're not to go out on a limb and say, oh, this is how the hypostatic union worked. You're going to fall into heresy one way or another. Okay. That's not to say that it is. So the other charge is that the hypostatic union is not coherent. That's not true either. And so we take as mystery how the hypostatic union worked. We don't know. We may never know. Um, but at the same time, we know that the second person of the Trinity that we call Jesus, um, he did not give up any of his divine properties. To do so would make him not divine. It, it doesn't make any sense. And so he sacrificed everything by taking on an additional human nature that he then has for the rest of eternity, by the way. He does not divest himself of his additional human nature. So that is that is part of the sacrifice of Christ is that the creator, the non-contingent creator, made himself both contingent and necessary. So he's necessary and contingent at the same time. Again, it's a mystery we can't understand. Um, can I get my two cents on this? I, I, I think when I look at those types like the hypostatic union and, and things, so on and so forth, it seems like it's subtractive. To, uh, subtraction by addition um he he gave up his right to act as god in man for that purpose he you know i i'm i'm i personally believe that if he wanted to he could have um acted differently while he was in the flesh but he he humbled himself even unto death in order to be able to fulfill um the role that he needed to play but he never ceased to exist as god he just you know, it was a subtractive based on addition because, you know, he put a limitation on himself to act as God, you know, or to act, to, to be man. So he maintained the dual nature, you know, the, like the hypostatic um, uh, union uh, teaches, but he never ceased to be God. It's just in man, you know, he, he ceased to act as God as man. You know, that's what I, that's, that's the way I wrap my head around it. A little bit. Does that make sense, CEO? Like, yeah, we, the yeah, hypostatic yes, union is a yes, complex and, subject. Yeah, to, to some degree, obviously there is mystery. At, at, at Nate's encouragement, I'm going to ask the question I asked him in the back channel. So, Jesus could have not farted, but decided to anyway? Jesus could have what? <laughs> I said, you did so not Jesus say farted, did you? <laughs> he did. Okay. So, uh, so the human nature... So the same human nature that can say, I am thirsty, I am hungry, is inextricably intertwined with the divine nature that can say, 
your sins are forgiven. That is the, that is the hypostatic union that we have, you know, a, a savior in Christ that has been tempted in every possible way and yet remained without sin. The scripture shows that and that he was fully human in every way that his human nature was not just some skin suit or some, you know, apparition, uh, as the Gnostics would claim, you know, like, like Sean was talking about, um, he was fully human and that human nature is a, it is a part. It's not a part. It is intertwined with who the second person of the Trinity is now. They are inseparable. And so when we talk about, you know, Jesus praying to the father in John 17, um, this is the hypostatic union expressing that grief. Okay. So then he, I mean, Jesus did too. We got that right. Yeah, of course. Fully human. So there's, so there's, you know, he ate and, and the interesting thing is, is that he ate after his resurrection. Remember he had breakfast with Peter when he restored Peter, he ate fish with Peter. This was how he showed, this is an important verse because the Gnostics would have, would have been all over, you know, the fact that Jesus raised from the dead and then was no longer corporeal, um, because the Gnostics believed that the corporeal flesh is evil and that anything material is evil. And so the early church, a lot of the early church fathers, one of the, one of the errors of Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy is that you're going to see that they're going to major on the physical aspects of Christianity. And it's because the early church fathers were emphasizing the physical aspects of Christianity to battle these ideas of Gnosticism that said that the material is evil. And so they went out of their way to talk about Lord's Supper and baptism as sacraments that were physical in nature. And so then that led to error that, well, you got to have, you know, baptism for the remission of your sins. Oh, and by the way, you have to have Lord's Supper to continually get a reinfusion of grace. So they, they, they took those early church fathers and continued down a different path than the church fathers would have. I like learning a lot of stuff about history. And yes, Cellini, I am well aware that there were multiple Gnostic sects with multiple Gnostic ideas. I'm just trying to simplify things for discussion. I got a question for you, uh, Chris, um, or whoever. Um, how, how would you, um, like, because in the Old Testament, you have a lot of theophanies, you know, when Christ comes and materializes um, in the form of a man, when he communicates with the individuals in the past. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong. So what would be the distinction between that material uh, materialization in the flesh in the Old Testament and the incarnation? How, how would you communicate that? Or Well, I think, I mean, first of all, no one's going to die on any hill for any theophany, right? There's no theologian that's going to point to a specific Old Testament passage and say, this has to be Jesus. Right. So that's for the first thing. Okay. So there's a lot of people on clubhouse that'll be like, no, that has to be Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know of any theologians that are dying on that hill. Right. They're going to be like, yeah, most likely it was Jesus. 
it could be Jesus. Sure. You know, like, um, when Jacob wrestles, you know, when Jacob wrestles the angel, you know, a lot of people say that that was Christ. Okay, fine. You know, I'm not going to say it's not, I'm not going to say it is. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when we talk about theophanies, we're talking about full grown human beings that, you know, appear on the earth and then disappear. Um, these are either angels or it could be, you know, a theophany or a Christophany, um, depending on how you look at it. The incarnation was Jesus gestated and was born into human flesh. That's a huge difference than just simply appearing. Right. I, I get that portion. Um, I guess um, what, what I guess what I'm trying to communicate, you know, because I know a lot of teachings, you know, Malak Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, you know, references to Christ. But that's that's a whole, you know, system that's talked about. But the point that I'm saying is that when they material, um, when they materialize, you know, I, I believe there's there's passages where they actually eat. So they it seems to me that if they're materializing, they're becoming actual human beings. Or is it, well, I mean, be it Christ or be it not Christ, what would you say the, 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 what would you believe that the material makeup is of those individuals? And if, and if. We have no idea. I, I mean, yeah. the scripture just doesn't even say. So, I mean, right, right. the scripture so, does what tell us what the information is. Right. I mean, the scriptures points out that the incarnation was special, that the incarnation was not just a theophany. Okay. Because of the point of Jesus taking on human flesh to give himself as a sacrifice. And the reason that it had to be God is because that sacrifice had to be infinite in nature. And so when the second person of the Trinity took on the, the human nature of Christ, the point of that is that, you know, the point of that is that when Christ died, his substitutionary atoning death would be infinite and efficient for all of humanity, or I'm sorry, sufficient for all of humanity. That's a huge difference than, you know, appearing on earth and eating, you know, porridge, um, for a day. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with the distinction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, debating that. I understand there's a huge difference. I was just talking about the the material existence, you know, and if um, there is a material existence that's different from that of the Old Testament, what makes the distinction? And um, so, if there, if if the material existence is exactly the same as as far as physically concerned, you know, I, I would feel like it would help us understand a little bit more about what's actually going on in the New Testament with Christ's incarnation, because also, uh, you know, obviously he took on the material existence, but it was something more or in addition to just materializing that made it significant um, for us, you know, as far as the plan of redemption is concerned. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking and thinking and rationalizing and trying to understand at the same time, you know, because these are some real, you know, deep concepts that, you know, maybe none of us will fully understand, but, you know, I'll just kind of see what your perspective is on, on that, because it seems that there's more than just material existence that's at play. You know, um, yeah, I'll end my plane there. Oh, hey, the real. What's up? How's it going, guys? Good, good. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks.
What's on your mind? Uh, well, I did have a question. Um, do you guys believe that the belief in the Trinity is a salvific belief? Uh, no. Okay. Really? I appreciate well, that. Well, in a sense, it means that you so, don't have to understand the Trinity to become a Christian, but if you reject the Trinity after hearing about the Trinity, then that is proof that you are not truly a Christian. That. Okay. Yes, that. Can you provide me with a passage that says anything like what you just said? Uh, it would be that the Spirit, you know, leads you into all truth. So, I mean, the, the idea... Um, is going to be that if we're all led, if all true Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, guiding us into this truth and you know understanding of who God really is, then we're all going to arrive at the same conclusion. So that conclusion is for those who believe in the Trinity and they see it through Scripture that they are right; they are led by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, everyone else who is led by the Holy Spirit will come to the same conclusion. Um, if Chris yeah, but- does something else. Isn't that just a no true Scotsman fallacy? I mean, all you're saying is because a lot it of it kind people, of is. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of people have believed this before, um, not always, right? And not arguably even up until around 300 <clears throat> CE, you know, was this an accepted belief in the Christian church? So, I mean, because of that, you're you're condemning every believer that comes before that and after that who denies well, this belief. So I'd say it's a little more nuanced than that. So I'd say, like, if someone says it's a no true Scotsman, I, I would, you know, I would kind of concede that. I, I would push back a little bit, but I get why it sounds that way. But as far as, like, when this came around, and you said 300s, like, anyways, but whenever it came around, like, that's inconsequential. Like, you know, when it first started, like, you know, people didn't have, you know, didn't have a complete scripture, didn't have complete the complete Bible. They didn't even have a Bible. So I like to think now that we do, um, you know, there's no mistaking it. And also, you know, when we say, when you say we're condemning, who's we? Not me. I mean, I would say that, you know, if you stick around long enough in Christianity, you're going to be led to this idea of the Trinity. And you're going to understand it and, you know, you're, you're going to believe in the Trinity. But if you, you know, get the gospel, you, you know, receive Christ and you go no further, you know, you, you read your Bible, you stay in the Psalms, you somehow never read anything that makes you think about the Trinity and you never hear about it somehow, or you get hit by a bus. Um, then no, it's not a salvation issue. Like Jesus says, you know, he's the only way to the father. No one comes to him except through Jesus. Um, But that doesn't mean you have to understand all the inner workings and the mind of God and the mechanics of how everything, you just need to know that it's by faith uh, that you're saved, um, saved by grace through faith. And however it happens, Jesus is your way. So just because you don't have a full understanding or working knowledge of the Trinity or anything like that, um, that's fine. But like Chris said, you know, if, uh, because, you know, we believe that you see this all throughout Scripture. So if someone just, like, rejects this and pushes against it hard enough, it's like, well, from our perspective, we're talking about the wrong God. I mean, that's like, you know, like Mormons would say, well, hey, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10, you know, believe God, raise Jesus from the dead, confess Jesus as Lord, and you're saved, right? But then whenever you find, when you go down their doctrine with them, you find out that they're they're not talking about the Jesus in Romans 9, 10. They're talking about some other Jesus who's, you know, the brother of an angel and, you know, came from another planet. So it's like, you know, you you... You can mess up doctrine a lot, but there's some things, very few things that you, you must get right. Um, so I, I would say that. So, yeah, I appreciate that answer. If I, if I may just offer one, um, one like follow up question, I suppose it would be, okay, so I'm someone who believes 
that Jesus is the only unique begotten son of God, okay, that he is the only way to salvation, that salvation is by um, grace and faith, not of works, and that Jesus is the only way to that salvation to the Father. I don't, however, believe he's the almighty creator God. I believe he is what the scripture says he is, which is the son of God, which is what he claimed time and time again when he was accused of being God. He claimed that he was the son of God. So that, simply that's, because that's I not believe what happened, that you're reading okay. that wrong. So, so right, Jesus said finished, in John but... 8, unless you believe that I am ego and me, you will die in your sins. You yeah. asked for a verse. Yeah. That means if you do not believe that Jesus is the creator God, the most high, you will die in your sins. So how come then in Mark, when he brings up that same incident of the burning bush, he says, God spoke to Moses through the bush. Why doesn't he say, I spoke to Moses through the bush? That, that's a nonsense question. We'll go back to John really? eight twenty four. Okay. Yeah, it is. So, so go back to John eight twenty four and deal with that. And then we can deal with Mark because what happens is cult members want to jump around to passages all hey, over. Hey, listen, man, I'm not going to put up with being called a cult member. So if that's what we're oh, doing, sorry. I'll just leave. You know what I mean? Cool. Later. Well, <laughs> well oh, hang on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, yeah, dang. Why'd we have to... Wow, Chris, what the heck, man? Dang. I can't leave you alone for two seconds? No, I just had some JWs at my door. Was he a Hebrew Israelite? Yeah, well, no, but, but Chris... I think his, he was. Uh, yeah. Chris, his, his Mark passage... I mean, I don't think that was a bad question at all. I'd like for you to actually answer. Yeah, sure. answer for us, Chris. You, yeah, wow. you, you can't prove a negative. What he's trying to do is a rhetorical tactic to try to get you to prove a negative. Why didn't Jesus? Why did not Jesus say this? Well, you can't prove a negative. That's just a stupid question. Why didn't Jesus, you know, grow sixty feet tall and stomp all of the Pharisees? Okay, let me answer that, it Bible then. man. Why did Jesus say God and not? Because he was simply having a conversation and talking through the context of Exodus. It wasn't a moment in which he was trying to elucidate his godhood. He was simply having a conversation. It's, it's that simple. When we read the scripture. Christian may have said something like, you know, why didn't he say the Holy Spirit? Well, why? Like every time Jesus says anything, does he need to say, um, so when God did this, by the way, I mean the Father. I also mean the Holy Spirit. And I also mean myself. So, I mean, you know, a more more amiable Christian response may have been something like that. Like, you know, why why do you say, you know, um, every time I did something, and by I, I mean Nate, I also mean the father of my child. I also mean the, the son of my dad. It's like, well, why? Like, you get what I'm talking about. Like, it's all it's all God. It's all Jesus. Like, he could have said, you know, when the father did this, or hey, when I did this. Remember that time the Holy Spirit did this? But it's easier just to be like, hey, remember when God did this? Let's talk about when God did this. I mean, if you take the totality of scripture, you can't escape it. Like, just because Jesus says, you know, um, when God did this in one place, he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. How do you deal with that? Um, so, I mean, you take the totality of scripture, and I would say that would be an answer. Right. Uh, and there's also logical problems. So, it's like, so if Jesus is a God, like, now you've got what? dual theism you've got two gods you've got a greater god and a lesser god we've got like greek demigods running around it just doesn't make any sense for the record i would say you can prove a negative like i'm open to persuasion but like if the value of something is zero you can well i guess that wouldn't be a negative but you know, <laughs> it, 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 okay so whatever 
Yeah, I really I mean, want to make a point, are... though. But if something, I mean, if something is, uh, yeah. So, I mean, if something is non-existent, I guess. So, okay, can't prove a negative. Yeah. All right. Good job. Yeah, he convinced our... himself. <laughs> that was kind uh, of we, awesome, uh... Nate. Well, I, I was, I was, I was going on the lines like I'm so used to, like you know, roboting, like you know, when people are like, you can't prove the existence of the non-existence of God. I'm like, if the value of something is zero, you can prove that. You can, you can, you, you can check the blank space. But then I'm like, wait, that doesn't extend into negative. So, um. <laughs> Yeah, but but so are we saying that like there aren't times where the father is having a conversation or doing something and that is not Jesus? So that is that that actually is messing with me right now. Huh? Huh? Okay, so the example he gave of the 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 bush. So like you know, is is there not times where the father is having the conversation or is doing something and it's not Jesus that's there? Oh, so so like in Exodus three four with the burning bush, like again, no one's going to die on this hill. A lot of people believe it was a Christol Christophany, you know that that Jesus was the one who was speaking to to Moses. I, we just don't know. There's not enough information given in the scripture as to which person of the Trinity was speaking with Moses. We we just don't know. And so, you know, what we do know is that the ontology of God, God is divine he is perfect he is good he is powerful he is faithful he is holy all three persons of the trinity are co-equal and co-eternal they all have these divine great making properties but they're one in essence three in persons and i guess while you're digesting that to zolini when um, i said you don't have to understand this stuff and I guess you you took it to um, oh I need my burning straw man picture um, when you took it to the stuff that came 1500 years later or whatever I mean you don't need to understand everything about God because you can't like God is incomprehensible so the things God says you must get right which is very few you must get those right the things like you know the inner workings and the mind of God and you're it, it seemed like you're insinuating correct me if I'm wrong that if you don't understand that then I guess, you know, you're taking it like a blind faith or you're just believing because no, I'm saying like, how can you comprehend an incomprehensible God? So the things God says you must get right, you must understand you're a sinful person. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus's death, burial, resurrection can forgive and save you and make you cool with God. You must get these things right. If you don't understand, you know, theophanies or deep theological things, that doesn't matter. And it's, it's, it's not a, you know, trust on blind faith for some reason. It, it's inconsequential. Like we're trying to like understand like the mind of God when we cannot do it. So hope that helps. So uh, Chris, and, and, and I'm going to try to break it down in human terms. So the Trinity can be doing different activities, but essentially shares the same brain. Uh, Chris, that was to you. Okay, let's just take this as Chris is stumped, and you've... Well, whatever. I don't know. You said the, the same rank? That no, no, I said, no, I said they could be doing different activities, but they, they share the same brain. So 
you know, they all simultaneously know what's occurring. Yeah, I, I don't think, like, I'm doing something else, but yeah, I don't think anyone's surprised. Like, if Jesus does something, God, uh, the Father, Spirit, know it. If the Holy Spirit's, you know, doing something, Jesus, the Father, know it. Same brain, maybe, maybe not the greatest way to say it, but yeah, I think everyone is aware of everyone else. Yeah, I was just, yeah. Yeah, I just was trying to say it in a human way, but I understand your point. It's not a perfect analogy by any means. <clears throat> Zelini. Zelini is exhausting. Zelini is an overeducated pagan, and so he continues to say things that are hilariously untrue. <laughs> well, I've been in some rooms with Zelini, and he has said some really thoughtful things, though. Yeah, he's a complete heretic. You should really probably stay away from him. Well, I mean, broken heretics can be right twice a day. That's true. I mean, you know, I would trust him to probably tell me the correct time. Hey, Zelini, what time is it? I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm a fool, but I, I would trust him to give me the proper time. I mean, the solo, you know, the whatever, Sola Fide and Sodia Gradia, like the, um, what's he saying about it? Where'd it go? Um, He's saying they were invented. invented they, in the, 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 how were they invented in the reform? They were invented by reading my Bible. Like, <laughs> like I don't, like, ask, ask Chris. I'm the most, like, woefully ignorant of, like, like, Christian on church history. Like, I don't read all these confessions. I don't read church fathers. I don't read church history. He, he th says, like, theologians every day, I have no idea who are. Yet, we share very, very similar doctrines and faiths and all this stuff from him doing all this extracurricular reading of church history for thousands of years and me from doing one thing, reading the Bible. So I, I somehow magically pull out nearly exactly the same stuff Chris does from all this stuff that people talk about invented in the 3rd century, the you know 15th century, the 500s, church fathers with weird names and hats. Like I'm like, bro, I get this from just reading the Bible. Like That's how I come up with this. So anyways, your it's like your your reformation has no power here. Like your church fathers and church histories have no power here. I simply read the Bible, yet somehow came up to almost exactly a carbon copy of, you know, what all these like other people do who read nothing but dusty tomes while I, I read my Christian fantasy fiction books. <laughs> it's almost as if it like, you know, a god or something is behind this. Knows a Lenny. That is untrue again. Making assertions. It's quite, quite fanciful and quite hilarious. I did not grow up a Protestant, my friend. Who is this guy? Yeah. Where is he if from? you know anything about me, I grew up Catholic, so there you go. All right. Anything else on the agenda, Steph? Steph is going to be sitting for another portrait with Nan Golden this, this week, I think. Oh, look, more names that elude me. Some artist or photographer. Dog-friendly gourmet hot dogs. Huh. For a St. Patrick's Day party. Dog-friendly. Dog I mean, wouldn't regular hot dogs be dog-friendly? Wait a minute. 
does that mean there's just no dog in it? Which I think <laughs> is true. Are you second second guessing what you're about to say? <laughs> Prove there's no dogs in hot. <laughs> yes, all hot dogs have dog. Prove that's false of every hot dog. Why didn't Jesus talk about hot dogs not having dogs in them? Must be a lie. <laughs> I don't see any vegan hot dogs. Oh, 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 come on. Substitute plant-based hot dogs for a dollar more. There is no reason vegans should be persecuted. All right, this is, this is my point. Why are we being persecuted, Chris? I know you're part of the persecuting crowd, but there is no reason plant-based stuff should be more expensive then, oh, that is, that is maddening. There is a definitive reason, because they know you have more dispensable income. The average vegan makes more than the average person who eats. Wow, that's a demonstrable lie. Oh, well, you said average. <laughs> that is a lie in my case. Well, you, you're the one who chose to live a high-class lifestyle. High-class lifestyle? Wow, that's like I, like addressing misconceptions. Like addre addressing misconceptions about Christianity. We need to talk about addressing misconceptions about, like, plant-based diet. Like, high-class? Goodness. Do you know how many cows you have to kill to, to create a good fertilizer for plant-based foods? I mean, you know, I could walk outside and find some stuff growing in the ground that no cow had to die for. Yeah, my, 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 uh... No, I'm talking about, like, mushrooms and stuff like that that, like, grows on the side of trees. Uh, that explains I mean, uh, uh, also, do you know how much it costs to not make vegan stuff taste like dirt? It, ta it, it takes a lot to make it taste... Oh, not really. I mean, it depends what you want to do. If you want to get into, like, processing, like, I don't know, Beyond Meat or Impossible Meat, however they do, like, you know... I haven't looked into it, but maybe that's what you're talking about. But yeah, if you want to talk about like, it, it, but if you want to, but if, but if, but but if you want to talk about taking a bunch of like, you know, mushrooms, like if a shiitake mushroom, like, uh, you know, white bean burger, um, no, all you do is get mushrooms and beans, grind them together, and make a patty. Tastes pretty good. Add some salt. There you go. There, there's a vegan recipe for you. Tofu used to be gross. It's gotten way. I actually like tofu, so... You know, that's when people are like, oh, the vegan stuff's disgusting. I never eat it. I'm like, what about salad? They're like, I love salad. I'm like, great. That's like what we're talking about. I mean, you know, with stand notwithstanding, you know, they smother it in like, you know, cheese and ranch and all that other stuff. But I'm like, well, I mean, you have to like vegan food is like, like saying vegan food, it's like cursed or something. I was like, it's, it's a freaking carrot. You like carrots? I love carrots. Congratulations. Well, we're there talking about go. the proteins, though. Getting protein. That's the... Mushrooms, beans, legumes, spinach. Well, mushrooms and beans. Like, mushrooms is a staple. Like, hey, so many mushrooms. Love mushrooms. So, Nate, let me ask you this. Is it vegan if I take all the vegetables and feed them to a cow and then eat the cow? That's all natural. Well, I mean, by definition, no, of course it's not. I mean, it's the same thing they do for Beyond Meat, right? Is it, is it vegan adjacent, Nate? 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's like that's like some of the conversations we have about theology. Like, I mean, at that point, I guess you could say it's like you know, a like a couple degrees away from veganism. But I mean, at that point, just call it eating a cow. Like, it's like, well, is this you know Christianity? If you call it, if you if you do this and this and this, can you still call it worshiping Jesus? I'm like, well, if you make all those precursors, but I mean, at that point, just say you're worshiping Satan. That's, that's easier. Like, that's easier. Yeah, so, but, yeah. Hey, you're like, well, man, if it wasn't, hey, if, if I'm feeding the cow vegetables and if the cow wasn't eating this and then, you know, I eat the cow after this process and this process, is it like quasi vegan? Well, if you do all this other stuff in between, sure. But I mean, if you want to be accurate, just be like, yeah, I'm eating a cow. Yeah, but man, I'm pretty sure you're on the wrong side of this because Jesus and the disciples ate meat. Well, if you want to look at, you know, the Bible, assuming, you know, we're still believing the Bible, I mean, you can, you know, eat whatever you want. Knock yourself out. You want to eat a big fat pork sandwich? Go for it. Um, you want to not do that? Fine. Don't do that. Nate, do you want to bring your family over to my house for Easter and I'll feed everybody lamb? Because that would be like, you know, the most biblical thing you could do. Ooh, can you make it the veal where you torture it for years in a box to make it all tender? Can you make it extra tortured lamb? Yes. <laughs> I already have five of those boxes in my backyard waiting for your conversion. Goodness. You know, the funny thing is, um, the, the, fun, the funny thing is, um, you know, a lot of times, like, like people who are like very much like, I got to have my steak, I got to have my meat, Arr, and then you talk to them and you find out it's like the puniest little like six ounce, like, you know, flaming yawn or something I'm like, what the heck? It's like, I guarantee I've eaten like more meat in my, like for two lifetimes. Like you can eat meat the rest of your life and you're not going to consume the amount of dead animal I have. Like, I mean, when, when I say I used to eat meat, like, you know, we're talking like, like North of Texas, like, you know, you eat a 76 ounce steak in an hour and it's free. Like that was like a weekend getaway. And then they're like, Oh, I've got to have my meat. It's like a puny little like morsel. Like, come on. Anyway, no, I mean, truly, I'm, I'm actually vegetarian most days, but I do believe in going to Five Guys or Smash Burger and having a good cheeseburger. <laughs> it's like, oh, totally vegan except steak. Oh, my God, I love steak. <laughs> so, Nate, would it be terrible to tell you that my Good Ranchers um, box? Did you cut yourself off or did you feel convicted? No, I just, uh, I'm getting in the car. I'm transitioning. <laughs> I just dropped my father-in-law off. Transitioning? To what? Let's talk about that. I'm, I mean, I got Is it, out you're in a judgment-free zone. I dropped my father-in-law oh. off, and I got back in my car to talk to you. <laughs> okay, so your farmer fresh ranch box or whatever? Yeah, good ranchers, man. I got the good ranchers what about it? coming. My son is, like, all about the good ranchers. He's like, Daddy, can I have a steak at, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon when he gets home from school? I'm like, all right, cool. I'll cook him up one. Two hours later, is there more steak? I don't know what good ranchers is. Is that where they, like, like bring, like, packaged meat and stuff? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a meat subscription service. It's like your worst nightmare. It just shows up oh. randomly at your house. Well, as Paul used to persecute Christians, uh, you know, I, I used to have a subscription to uh, Omaha Steaks in uh, Colorado, and they would they would come by and, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, so but much steak. The, 
but but Nate, if uh, if Christianity is about modeling the lifestyle of Jesus, how can you feel good about this decision of yours, not eating meat? Then, then let me use a Muslim argument to counter that. Um, Muslims are more like Christ in his life because they have beards and they wear robes. Therefore, if you want to model a Christ, you need to wear a robe, grow a beard, and become Muslim. So... That is the argument I will respond to you with. Well, you just have an answer for everything, don't you? <laughs> I mean, we, hey, we've got answers. Hey, J, hey, hey, I almost called you JC. Hey, um, hey, Nate. So, <laughs> yes, father. <laughs> yes, father. May I have a stick, father? Oh no, his voice is now like, yes, daddy. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Anyway, um. <laughs> So in the kingdom, you know, there's going to be like the, the wedding feast of the lamb, right? Sure. Yeah. What if the wedding feast of the lamb is like a massive barbecue? I mean, if I don't have to worry about cholesterol, then sure. Fire up Bambi. I don't care. All right. I mean, I didn't say venison. I mean, dang. Like. That's just another level of cruelty there. Well, no, so there's multiple levels to this, right? So, like, in the beginning... In the, all right, let me end with my vegan testimony. In the beginning was... Goodness. My vegan okay, don't be a heretic. Don't, That's so don't be a heretic. Don't, don't be a heretic. I don't think you can be vegan and say, let's fire up Bambi. Like, this is in. This is in a... This is in the new spiritual kingdom when we have glorified bodies that aren't like ridden by high cholesterol from bad family members and their hereditary diets. Anyways, so in the beginning was Nate, and Nate had super high cholesterol, and the doctor's like, bro, you need to go on medicine. I'm like, oh, I'm too young for that. So um, he's like, well, you can change your diet. I'm like, that sucks. But I'm like, okay, I'm too young for medicine, so let me just try these diets. I tried different diets. I tried chicken. I tried fish. I tried, like, you know, doing the doctor's order. My cholesterol actually went even higher, like way higher. I'm like, what the heck? So I, I took some medicine for a while, like just a simple little pill. But I'm like, bro, I'm too young for this. Anyway, I met these uh, people who are, like, vegan, and they're like, hey. And it was funny. It was, like, actually at a giant barbecue, and I just got done stuffing my face with about two pounds of pulled pork. So good. Anyways, so – uh, they're like, well, hey, why don't you give this a shot? Because I was telling them what I'm telling you. I'm like, dude, I've tried everything, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this sucks. They're like, well, dude, have you thought about being vegan? I'm like, uh, no. Um, he's like, well, why don't you give it a try? I'm like, huh. I'm like, you know, um, okay. I mean, what have I got to lose? I guess I'll give it a shot. So I did it and found found out there was enough stuff and it was easier than I thought it would be. So um, I'm like, okay, I, I got in the habit of it. And whenever I started going back to the uh, doctor, my levels were down and then they were down again. And after like, by the time a year was done, like everything was like spot on. I'm like, Holy crap. So really just like cutting out the cholesterol with meat, dairy and, you know, animal stuff really did the trick anyways in this journey, which started out for health reasons. Then I just, as an aside, started seeing all this other stuff that just made me like gross out by animals. Like, you know, when, like all the Facebook posts, like a few years ago, like when people would go and stuff, we already know, right? Like they pump, they GMO everything, even vegetables. No one's safe. But, I mean, you know, they also, like, pump animals full of antibodies and just is, – it's disgusting. Like, who knows what you're eating? And then you'd see all these things of, like, you know, people who go to their ups, upscale, like, um, butcher because they think upscale boutiques have better better stuff. And then they're posting pictures on Facebook of, like, giant cancerous tumors in their pork. And it's, like, ugh, freaking disgusting. 
So I was further kind of just turned off, like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So it had been so long since I've eaten any animal stuff that I just kind of got grossed out by it. And um, then I kind of, you know, on the eth ethical side, which I'm normally not a giant weenie, but I'm like, okay, well, look, if, if kind of like in, con in concert with my minimalization thing, because I try to just go like minimal on, on lifestyle, like if I don't need it, don't have it. I mean, obviously I have electronics and things like that. So, I mean, I, I have my exceptions, but generally speaking, I try less is more. So I'm like, okay, well, if I don't need something, let's just try to abstain from that just because, I mean, you know, it's cheaper and it's usually healthier for you. So all these good reasons. So to not indulge again, no religious reason, just kind of practicality and common sense. I mean, the fact that, you know, the Bible kind of gives some stuff is a bonus anyways. So then I'm like, okay, well, if I don't need it, let's not do it. So I don't, if I don't need all this animal stuff that's gross and poison anyway, then why do it? And also my blood levels and, you know, blood panels are all in order. So everything's good. So that's the totality of my vegan testimony. Mm, cancerous tumors. Do we get a couple of those to go and like grind them up into like hamburger and grill them? It sounds like they're coming in your box delivery today. Yes. So, so Nate, did, did you? Tumors. Nate, did you convert faster to veganism than Christianity? <laughs> um, so I'd have to say yes, but that's not a really fair question because uh, you know I, I mean I, I grew up like in the church, so like you know, but like I, I can't pinpoint a moment of where I, I consciously was aware. Like you know, I, I'm sure I was taken to church in a crib as a baby or a little carrier. So like. I, I always knew the church stories and stuff like that. So you would say, well, obviously I've had more data and more exposure to that than when the dude's like, well, hey, you want to want to try uh, this vegan diet? And I'm like, oh, OK, sure. I mean, that, that was kind of a spur of the moment thing. You want to try this crack? But also we're not comparing eternal souls to, you know, elevated cholesterol levels. So, I mean, one is um, eternally, literally eternally more important than the other one. Oh, you got a fan of minimalism in the chat. Oh, do I? Who's that? I don't know. All right. Hey, Daisy. Daisy's here. Who, who's Daisy? Do I know Daisy? Um, she's a reformed beat. I don't see nice. a Daisy. I, I don't see this person. She's down there, man. Like... Oh, feel free to join us. Correct Chris on all of no, his errors. does not speak, so. Oh, does not speak? Oh. No, she's like this busy real estate person that's making millions of dollars a minute or something. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So that's your vegan testimony. Pretty great. <laughs> I like it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll become a. Is there such a thing as like anti-vegan that's like only eat meat products? Yes, no yes, vegetables? I can tell you about this because I I am force-fed this indoctrination. So I have a neighbor um, who is um, a carnivore. So they follow the carnivore diet. So they are one hundred percent like meat only, like not even animal stuff, like not not milk, butter, cheese, like one hundred percent unflavored meat just any any meat like um ground beef chicken steak like with with no seasoning or i think they i think they do like some very 
very I, no, I don't think they do any salt, pepper, nothing. No, no seasoning. Because like plants are plants are bad, and any herbs are bad. So yeah, it's one hundred percent carnivore diet. They um, I'll go to their house, and um, you know I'll I'll bring like my little vegan dinner or whatever when we're hanging out, and they'll just they'll just get a giant pile of meat and put it on a plate and eat it. So, so Nate, yes, they it, do it, it this, and they live next to me. And so Nate, if if you want to become a multimillionaire, on this person, start a cult. Oh what? I said, get a term life insurance policy on that person. <laughs> um, can you do that? Do you have to? Can you just get an insurance policy on anyone? No, you can. No, you you can ask him and basically make his family like you know forty percent beneficiary. You're sixty percent. It'll cost you like forty bucks a month, and you you'll be good for probably about six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars in the next twenty. I don't know. That feels like a little. I don't know. Morally icky. Well, there's church. There's actually churches that do this. They they get an insurance. Is it Scientology? Faster. No, 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 no. Oh. There's Christian churches that do this. This is a normal practice. It's not for. Oh, uh, 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 well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I see around in this situation, but it's no, no. I, I, I know. I mean, no. I know life insurance is a thing. I'm saying doing it because of someone's diet that you think is is going to end in their short demise seems a little. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's practical. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll ask him. I'll be like, hey, if you think you know, if you believe in this diet so much. You know, let me get insurance uh, on you. Just you know, put your put your money where your mouth is. Except then they'll probably think I'm just trying to kill them. That'll be like really. I don't know. How do you explain that? Like, hey, we noticed you talked to your neighbor into. We we, we noticed you talked to your neighbor into getting a life insurance policy on them. Uh, why would you do that? They mysteriously came up dead. I'm like, dude, I promise it was just because of their diet. Like, oh well, you know, they ended up dead in your bathtub. I'm like, I had nothing to do with it. Dead in your bathtub with no blood in their body. No, I have nothing. <laughs> uh, so, 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 uh, oh, sorry. Have lines been okay, crossed uh, here? No. Uh, okay. Nate, the uh, question I was going to ask earlier, um, I, I kind of got went on that segue with the whole type situation was, um, I was actually going to ask it a few days before, another time when I was on, on your uh, channel. Um, are you familiar with like the um, the cosmic temple interpretation of Genesis one, where instead of a, a instead of it making a description of a material ontology but describing a um, functional ontology, it wasn't really being something that was meant to be I guess scientific in that particular sense, but it was actually painting a different type of picture than what is probably you know the common thought concerns and concerning you know, the, uh, the creation account in, in Genesis. And, uh, are, you, are you familiar with that, or have you been exposed to that type of teaching? Uh, I've probably heard the teaching. I'm not familiar with the term, though. What's um... Well, so um, instead of a material ontology of God creating the universe, um, you know, from the material, from, you know, how he arranged the earth and then he put man into it, it was describing of actual creation of a, a temple. Now, it's, it's from the backdrop of a Near Eastern, um, uh, ancient Near Eastern, um, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, okay, no, I'm not familiar uh, with that. Setting, setting, you know, setting. So, 
um, basically um, what was being described was not God creating, uh, not saying that, you know, the teaching doesn't, doesn't claim that God didn't create the material universe. It was just simply saying that Genesis 1 account was actually speaking to something totally different. Um, and it was God actually building a temple. You know, Adam became in the priest and, you know, uh, that particular, you know, Adam and Eve, I guess the priest, you know, in that particular temple and then God, you know, resting. So when he rest on, rested on the seventh day, it wasn't obviously he neither sleeps nor slumber, but he rested from his works. Now, the teaching actually uh, supports that it was a seven-day um, creation account, but it wasn't a material, but a functional. In other words, like you may have this building that has a whole bunch of, I mean, you may have this, this heap of bricks and so on and so forth that's been laying around for thousands of years, but then when God, then when the person comes and gives it a function, that's really, really when it comes to life. Like in the, like the engineer Eastern belief systems, um, they, they believe that something wasn't created unless it had a function, you know, it's a, that, that was just the, the cultural river, um, at, you know, that was within the cultural river at the time that, you know, Israel, you know, sat in, you know, um, you know, when, when these accounts was being explained. But like when you, if you if you look into it, it's it's there's a few people. I think I was listening to something on Michael Heiser. Have you you, you familiar with Michael Heiser? I know the name. I don't know anything else about him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Michael Heiser, John Watson. Some I, I kind of went on a little rabbit hole. Like a month ago. Yeah. He just died. Yeah. So you know, yeah, he has he has an interesting perception on on a lot of things in scripture. It, it's, it sounds very coherent. You know, I'm always you know you know I'm always up for correction if. Well, I wouldn't say the I wouldn't say like the the temple thing would be coherent. Like I wouldn't I mean I I wouldn't buy that for a second. I think that's much too far of a stretch. Um, well, it, it ties into like uh, um, some other things. Like for example, uh, I, I don't have my my notes in, in front of me, but it was speaking about how when you look at some of the passages, like let all that has breath praise the Lord. The earth is you know, my footstool and, you know, heaven is my throne. And you have different passages, like even in Psalms, where it talks about, it seems like praise and worship. And then it says in his temple, you know, it was like, you would actually have to, you know, look at the teaching itself and then put it together. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not always the best communicator. I have a lot in my head, but I'm not always the best communicators, you know, on, on certain topics, especially when they're fresh in my, you know, in my understanding. So, but I'll, I'll, but if, if it's, um, I mean, I, I could back channel you, send you a, a link to something if you ever want to take some time to actually look at it. But it, it's it's a plausible argument um, if you look at it. Send it to know, me, Vaniel. I'd like to see it. And and yeah. what I would also I'll look at it. Yeah, send it to me, please. Yeah, encourage you to to seek out some some other teachers than Heiser. Okay, like Heiser's good for the occasional weird fact, um, but. I mean, he's not considered mainstream, okay, as a scholar. I'm, I'm um, aware. Yeah. So so look at R.C. Sproul. Look at Steve I Lawson. I, I spent a lot of time in his stuff, too, R.C. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of well-rounded with a lot of different... Okay. Michael Heiser is pretty much actually new um, yeah. to me. And I, and I only ran up on Michael Heiser because I was looking at... I was looking for something, and then I, and I, you know, I, I have the Logos Bible software, um, and when I was looking, I, I seen a video uh, that said Unseen Realm, but it was under 
the you know uh the logos bible software <laughs> youtube uh, webpage so you know kind of gave him a little bit of credibility at least worth the listening to and you know when he shared some of his perspectives you know um you know some things that i hear like when i was reading the quran you know i wanted to read the quran for the first time it's like when i'm reading it's like oh my goodness it's like a nursery rhyme it's like it's a, it, it just doesn't seem to have any type of substance to it from it but when i hear something that that seems to have substance i kind of pay attention and i'm like you know i found some some things that actually made a lot of sense or made sense of other passages but i i don't you know with any teaching that i do what i or with any teaching that i, I come across and it's convincing <clears throat> what i would usually do is i'll find opposing views and you know and, and kind of see to try to keep a balance so i'm not sucked in this vacuum of one particular person's perspective but i try to be rounded out to see how pe other people feel about it and you know to draw my conclusion based on the best arguments smart you know obviously with scriptures and so on and so smart. forth the best that sounds you know, perfect yeah so well, um, well mark came to the stage so I'm, i bet he probably has something to say about this yeah good morning guys good morning. um yeah that idea that the genesis account you know could be instead the building of a temple instead of the creation of the world or you know paralleling that that to me is an example of the kind of teachings people can come up with when they want to take things figuratively that are not necessarily intended to be figurative um, there's you, the way communication works is that unless something is obviously figurative, we take it literally. And since God's word was given by the Lord to communicate, I always look at it and say, we need to take this at face value for what it says. And a lot of the folks who try to find these deeper meanings are the ones that end up getting off into false doctrine. Now in this particular case, it might not lead to false doctrine, but that whole, uh, we call it a hermeneutic, that whole way of interpreting scripture where we just say, well, you know, this right might actually stand for something else. And we kind of create this idea in our mind and then try to find Bible support for it. That's just a really dangerous way. Uh, Chris, I think you know, there's a book by some guy named Hendricks or something that kind of helps you to read and understand the Bible in the correct way. You know about that, Chris? You probably can't talk right now. Oh, the how to read a Bible? Or how to well, read a book? Was, how to read a book? How to read a book he talks about. And there's another one called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. And I was just kind of teasing a little bit because Chris and I are going to do um, a series of clubhouse rooms on Wednesday nights going through that uh, textbook, Living by the Book, which basically is an introductory course in hermeneutics, and it keeps you from reading things into the Bible yourself instead of allowing the Bible to speak for itself. So uh, I thought maybe Chris would want to plug that, so I'll plug it instead. I agree with you, Mark, and uh, and I wouldn't recommend certain teachings to be given to any you know novice of scripture and so on and so forth because you don't have the the, the proper foundation um, <clears throat> to be able to sustain you you know or 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 to keep you from getting sucked into the vortex of you know some kind of coherent thought. 
itself. So um, I I try to, you know, yeah, there has to be some kind of method of interpretation for you to understand certain things and not fall into false doctrine. I, I don't I don't know if 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 you hold to. Do you believe that? Um, what I I guess what would be the thing that would cause you to to get caught up? What what or what would hold you back from you know being uh, sucked in by something that's unfamiliar to you or something that is new that seems to be convincing? What 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 foundational thing should you have intact? You know, in order to 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 be exposed to new belief systems without being sucked in. What, what, what would you say on your yeah that's an excellent question and you know those things are really interesting you know you read something like that you know the Genesis account is actually the building of a temple you think wow that's kind of interesting and then you know you pull out some other verses from Psalms or whatever and you're like wow that's kind of cool um, so what keeps you from falling into those false doctrine is having what we call a solid hermeneutic a solid understanding of basic Bible interpretation. And for most Bible-believing Christians, we're tending to hold to what we call a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture. I got red bars, so tell me if you can't hear me. Um, so, you know, you can go through all the hermeneutic principles, but a real basic one is just you understand things literally unless they're obviously figurative. If I say, man, I'm getting hungry, I'm going to go by Burger King and order two Whoppers, you don't think, hmm, I wonder if he really means he's going to go to Panera Bread and get a flatbread pizza. No. But if I said, man, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, you don't say, oh, he's going to grill some horse meat today. Much Chris. <laughs> you know that I'm talking figuratively in that case. And so the Bible's the same way, and God gave it to communicate himself. And yes, there are deep truths that are uh, take the guidance of the Spirit to understand and so forth. But at the same time, uh, when we try to make it some mystery that, um, that nobody can figure out except this certain teacher, then we've probably got a problem. One other thing came to mind, Vaniel, as you said that, was if somebody comes up with a new teaching that nobody through the centuries has ever come up with out of the Bible, for me, that's a lot of yellow flags because um, obviously the Bible's complete and no new revelations being given. Now, do we understand things better than we did before? Sure, but when somebody comes up with something brand new um okay maybe they're right but let's proceed with extreme caution here yeah and it's like how believable is it right like so if someone's like oh okay so like the genesis claim right like most people traditionally understand it like you know god created the world and in, in in six you know six days and rest on the seventh um like that's the traditional understanding um in genesis one and, and genesis chapter two gives more detail of genesis one however something that's you know I think still could be within orthodoxy um, and is not too far-fetched is to say, well, some people believe that Genesis 1 is an account of God creation of the world, but then perhaps an indeterminate amount of time, 
um, if you don't want to go young earth creation, something happened. There was a cataclysmic event, blah, blah, blah. Something bad happened. And in Genesis 2, that's God recreating some stuff because you see some of the foundations in Genesis 1 are not mentioned in Genesis 2. So I would say that would be – yeah, so I'd say that would be an example of something that's not too far-fetched. Like, you know, I don't don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I'm just saying – you ask where the threshold is, like that's something that's not really a problem for orthodoxy. It doesn't mess with the gospel. Um, it's just, you know, a different telling because there was a God recreated some stuff. Um, I'd say that would be like, fine. Like, I don't necessarily believe it, but I'm going to say, you know, if, if someone else believes it, fine. It, it's not really, I don't see that as like harmful or heretical or anything like that. Um, the Bible wouldn't either. Um, but then when, yeah, there's like some new teaching that no one's heard before, just like what Mark said. Um, yeah, super, super red flags go up. And it's like, you know, if there's a mysterious thing or something that like, you know, not that we're appealing to popularity, but I mean, after thousands of years, people pretty much have a handle on the doctrines. So um, if someone's like, I mean, like baptize is a perfect example. Like you have to cry literal tears of water or you're not saved. Like that's damnable heresy for the ages. Like that's a super red flag. So like, you know, I mean, that's actual heresy. Like, you know, the guy thinking that God created a celestial temple for Genesis 1, I mean, as long as somewhere in there, there's like the literal Adam, the literal Eve, the, the fall of man and, you know, the, the stuff that would matter, then, you know, I, I mean, if that checks out, I'd say, well, fine, it may not be outright heresy as long as the, the essentials are there. But that's still it's still weird. And it can like start people on a path to lead them astray. And, you know, that's how cults are formed. Um, anyway, that's kind of my threshold. Like if it sounds insane, um, yeah, there's going to be some red flags um, if it sounds, you know a little off the beaten path, but not outright heretical, then eh, whatever. I, I may not believe it, but you're free to. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, I, I try to follow a process, um, but you know, I, I'll allow, I, I understand the fact, you know, any, anything that's new, I think some of the translations, uh, I think when the, what was it? The, um, when certain translations of the Bible, was introduced, you know, at, at first they, they call it heretical because it was something, something new, you know, um, if, if I'm correct, you know, but then as time progressed, you know, it became, it became a norm. Um, I, I found, you know, you know, popularity doesn't always mean, you know, truth, you know, as well, but at the same true. time too, if, if it is something, if it is something that is new, you got to take precaution in, in how you're handling it. Cause you got to consider why, um, these things were not spoken about. Why isn't this mainstream? You know, you actually, you know, because you're, you're, you're traveling into a land of chaos, the unknown and, and kind of randomness. So of course you want to tread lightly in how you approach it, but just because it's not popular, doesn't mean that, you know, it may not be true. It just may be, there may have been something like, for example, some of the, um, ancient nearest artifacts and so on are, are fairly new of what they know about the time. And, um, that uh, I, I I don't want to misquote anything. I want to be able to go back and get my information. But about like for example, when when you understand if like if you look in in the scriptures, you'll notice that a lot of the scriptural writers they quote it from you know you know other books like the you know the Book of Enoch. I'm not saying that they're authoritative in their in their scripture, but if they quoted it, they quoted it for a reason. And so it's like when you understand. The, the extra biblical literature out there, you have a better understanding of the context or, or at least what people thought um, at the time of, you know, the existence of, you know, 
you know, of, of the, you know, the biblical characters and so on and so forth. So it kind of gives you more of a better context of making interpretations, you know, um, about the passages. Now, some of the like the ancient, you know, Babylonian information and so on and so forth, a lot of these things that was that was discovered. You, you'll you'll find like there's there's similarities in even in in the Israelite practices like the law code of Hammurabi, um, some other uh, past. You'll see some similarities and some parallels, um, or I guess motifs, maybe you call that. You know that are similar. I mean, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence. Now I'm not saying that you know the you know the, the scriptural writers they plagiarized these other beliefs but they could have been uh, these other belief systems but they could have been involved in the same cultural river that means they shared some common thoughts because you know they were close to each other you know um so when when looking at some of the parallels in the backdrop and uh, ancient near eastern um systems of belief you you'll find some common thought now i know this is you got to care be careful when you're treading in that because you don't want you know, extra biblical sources to be the authoritative word on how you interpret scripture. But to a certain degree, it, it does play a role in how you interpret scripture when you understand the context and what was going on. And even certain passages like the, the bell cycle, um, you know, th th things of that nature. So it's like when he presented the uh, when I started looking into it, because the first time I looked into it, um, I, if somebody was talking about it. I I, I forgot what it, it started off with Michael Heiser because Michael Heiser did a um uh like a a, a walkthrough um a podcast from through the whole book of Leviticus, which is one of the books that I've found you know rather challenging. You know what I'm saying because they have so many different things that I don't understand, and he provided a lot of different examples and and he kind of mentioned uh john walton john walton is the one he he wrote a book called the lost um it that initially wasn't supposed to be the name but the you know the publishers gave it a some kind of mysterious name to be able to sell the product but the lost book of um the lost world of genesis one in which he kind of lays down a lot of foundational stuff a lot of stuff that i didn't agree with i just didn't find but a lot of stuff was just it was coherent thought it, it lined up with a lot of just it just made a lot of sense. Then I then the article the the video that I just um sent you uh Nate and uh Chris in the uh, the back channel you know kind of provide a little bit more details. Which I mean it's well it's, yeah it, let me well, yeah, yeah let me jump in real fast because I'm I'm gonna have to go. But I would say there's a lot you said there. First of all, the Book of Enoch. Um, whenever people quote it, they say the Bible quoted it. First of all, whether or not it actually did is inconsequential. Like, but the original people, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Book of Enoch was never in, so either they didn't consider it enough authoritative enough to add it to their scripture, but also there's evidence that you know it's a pretty ambiguous phrase. So like when people talk, say it quoted the Book of Enoch, um, there's a lot of people that say no, they didn't. It was a very common thing, and they were referencing it. So um, that doesn't mean it. They were directly quoting Enoch. It just you know it was something they could they could have said that like the Golden Rule, like you know you could say well the Golden Rule, um, you know Jesus said it, or you know some other ancient text said the Golden Rule. That doesn't mean Jesus was quoting them or they were quoting Jesus. It just means it was a very common understanding. So I'd say, first of all, um, sure, they could have been quoting the Book of Enoch, but it doesn't matter because they could just as easily could have been saying another phrase that was popular in that day. And it just so happens to be found in the Book of Enoch. Um, and then I would also say that the it's where are people's pet projects? Like, what's their motivation? So like, if you're talking about something that is not the gospel, then if they say, hey, here's a theory, here's what I think this could this could mean. 
then I'd say, well, great. Um, I'll consider that. And whether or not I like, if you say, okay, I believe it, that makes sense. Or I don't believe it, whatever their response should be like, Oh, okay, fine. I just passed this on. I thought it was interesting. But if they really make this a pet project, I think that shows some like ill motivation. If they're beholden to it, like that would become as much as like, you know, rivaling the gospel because at that point it's like well what's the possible reason like if you think this interpretation of genesis is right um do you think it's more important than the gospel and i'm I'm sure they would say of course not but the way they talk about it if it's like no you have to accept this interpretation of genesis why like what possible reason like all i have to accept is the gospel um so I, i would say that so if the guy's like hey this is what i think about genesis well then best case scenario you know if he it doesn't matter if you think that and it doesn't conflict with the gospel then fine, think that. Um, if you don't, it doesn't matter one way or another because the gospel is unaffected by it. Um, if it's something that does affect the gospel or their soul beholden to it that they would rival the gospel, then it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. That's bad. Um, of course. I, I, I so agree. So I, I would I agree say that. that. I Follow up real quick that. and then I really do have to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case with, with this scenario. I don't think you know, it's it's necessarily a, a gospel issue. It's just an interpretation of certain passages of scripture. I mean, I guess it all ties together, but you know, um, but it's it's a, yeah. I, I would just I would just like um, if y'all, whenever y'all get a chance to take a look into it, you know, when I jump back in the chat or something like this, let me know you you read it and then you give me your thoughts on it. Because right now it seems like for you guys it's it's, it's kind of a vague idea. Because um, you know, obviously, you just there's a lot of lot of stuff to cover when it comes to theology so i understand you know nobody has the time to study everything but um i would love to 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 hear your your thoughts and your perspective on it because not not a lot of things um move me you know i i try to spend a lot of time you know studying i I spend most of my day every day studying you know something whatever it is but um but well yeah send that to me if, yeah, if I did. I, I, sent, I sent you in a message, or I don't know if this if that's what the back channel is a message, but well, I, gonna, I said yeah, it. and I was also going to say my email address is in the profile if you need. But yeah, if you did that, I'll check it out. But I know I said I had to run, but I don't, I don't think I met Robert, and I'd really like to hear from Robert for two seconds. But yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead. I, I'm super. I hey, appreciate your time, though. Appreciate the time listening. Oh, of course. I that is an interesting theory. I'm excited to check it out. But what's up, Robert? How are you? Well, he finds if you're his speaking, mic. Robert. While I find this mic, I just wanted to say, Nate, that's excellent the way you explain the position on the Book of Enoch, your content about that, and your delivery is always really good. I've heard you do that a number of times. That's really a good Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, Robert, are you speaking? Did you find your mic? Just hit the unmute button if you see it. We'll give you five, four, three, two... Well, Robert, I'd like to talk to you. Um, if you are having mic troubles, we'll be back here tomorrow. But thanks for joining us, Mark and Vaniel and Chris and everyone else. And we'll see you on the morrow. Take care, everyone.